Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Make it the day you think about one thing out there, brother. And that's the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh-huh. The place where you'll find the best type of stuff out on the planet Earth when it comes to news, reviews, and rumors in the wrestling world. Uh-huh. So always get together. And listening to this show makes me feel good if it doesn't make you feel good, brother. We got a problem. Oh yeah! All right, thank you to the the ghost of Macho Man Randy Savage for for bringing your presence and and delivering some amazing words uh, before our show. And just keep on doing what you're doing. Oh wow, he's eating a Slim Jim. Is that like a Slim Jim's already been eaten and went to heaven? I don't even know. Doesn't matter. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Dane Alves with Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, providing you with a show that goes over the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provides you with reviews over the shows from the last week and previews some of the pay-per-views coming out. we got a pretty big show, a little bit of a uh, sad note, I would say, but, uh, you know, passing to my co-host that will be talking to me when it comes to all of this, like always, thank you very much for joining me, Christopher, brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful. I, I love the idea that when you eat a Slim Jim, it goes to heaven so that the ghosts can, or the angels or whatever you want to call them, like, can also have a Slim Jim. That's a great, it's a great way to think about life. <laughs> but uh, it's been a busy week, man. How about you? How's your week been? Um, very busy. We had, uh, we were doing a uh, t-shirts for a uh, small festival, just a small little quaint festival in Atlanta called the Sweetwater 420 Fest at my job, and I was busy just fucking getting all this shit out here to different distributors and all the different liquor stores throughout the states to promote this wonderful event, and uh, let's just say I'm worn out and I'm happy I can talk with you on Saturday about some professional wrestling, Chris. Yeah, that's not a small festival by any means. I actually feel for you if you were dealing with all that advertisement and printing and et cetera. That sounds uh sounds like your week was about as busy as mine. <laughs> I was busier than an OnlyFans girl trying to make her rent for the next eight months in one. Um, but yeah, just uh, some good stuff overall. And uh, hey yo, uh, we gotta start off this show. Unfortunately, uh, talking about a subject that I wasn't really uh, too fond to talk about. Um, I think it'll be therapeutic because me and Chris have, of course, talked about it, you know, a little bit here and there throughout the week, especially leading into what would inevitably happen. But uh, we lost a great professional wrestler, especially when it comes to the time period in which me and, and Chris watch. Um in Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, the bad guy, uh, just 
I don't know. This one really hit me harder than most. Um, you know, it was kind of like up there, I would say, with like when I first heard about Savage, honestly. It just, uh, and that wasn't even into wrestling when that happened. And I remember that just completely destroying me a bit. And now hearing everything that came out about the situation itself, it just, really sad story and kind of shows you how bad addiction can be. Um, you know, uh, Scott Hall for the last decade really got cleaned up, uh, lost a bunch of weight, got surgery, was looking good, you know, went into the hall of fame shortly after making, you know, being a part of that documentary, uh, with DDP who helped him get back in shape and get him, uh, to, you know, not in rehab. He was the rehab basically for him because that was never working for, uh, Razor or Scott. I'll call them both at different parts in this, I'm sure. But um, Scott was looking good. Uh, the documentary also helped out with their friend Jake the Snake Roberts and also mentor for both of them. And all of them were, you know, assembled. Uh, and throughout the next couple of years, he'd be put, put in the Hall of Fame as Razor Ramon. Uh, just did a complete turnaround, was working a lot at the NXT. A performance center uh one of his pupils uh that you know was very well known is damian priest who helped him out a lot uh throughout there because damian looked up to to scott and just gave him great advice about you know he wanted to work with the big men he wanted to basically tell them if him and kev were there they were working with all the guys that were a pretty decent size and showing them what to do in that type of situation especially longevity on their body unfortunately from what we hear happened uh the pandemic and the isolation kind of brought the worst back out of scott as reported by dave metzler of the wrestling observer um he went back into drinking and even though it wasn't as bad as it used to be he was still drinking uh he would inevitably more recently and i have no clue if it's alcohol related or anything uh he would break his hip and uh, struggled for almost two days on the ground uh, with people trying to communicate through phone, couldn't get a hold of him. And since I guess uh, Diamond Dallas Page lives close to him, was trying to get a hold of him himself, he, uh, they asked Dallas if he could go check on him and found him on the floor with a broken hip, got him into the hospital. But, you know, with the surgery itself on his hip, caused a blood clot, caused three heart attacks that we found out last Sunday morning. And uh, inevitably would be the end of the great wrestler, Scott Hall. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's another situation where wrestling between what happens to these guys through brain injuries, uh, through putting up their body and putting it on the line, through trying to get them through the, the travel and, and the camaraderie of being a pro wrestler when it comes to drinking and probably taking uppers and downers later on, you know, to help out self-medicating. Um, just it's, 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 uh, it's, it's really depressing. Uh, and this is one of those situations. Scott had a bad hip. I don't know, like I said, if what happened with the injury itself, but you know, the severity of it probably added to the likelihood I'm assuming of the blood clot, you know, and him having to go into surgery two days after it happening. So this is just not a 
I'm sorry. It's a somber note to start off, but, you know, we'll get past that and we'll talk about some of the good stuff and some of the stuff that was said by friends and wrestlers uh, after that and tributes that were made by different various organizations, all thanking for the work of Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. Uh, Chris, really, really tough story to talk about. Yeah, in, I don't know. We went from this super high of going to the GCW show and having this great time to us waking up on Sunday morning with this news that he's in the hospital after having three heart attacks. And the whole time I'm thinking, he's going to pull through. He's the bad guy, right? He'll, he'll be able to make it through this. And uh, Kevin Nash posts this really, really very sweet but very sad at the same time note about Scott Hall and, and having to take him off life support the family and waiting for the family and friends to get there. And it just seemed so fucking surreal to me. Um, like, like almost an impossibility because watching razor Ramon as a kid and even Scott Hall as a kid, he was like a superhero. He's one of those larger than life characters that did come out of that WWF era where you actually believed in what he was doing and who he is. And obviously great contributions to wrestling, and someone like I think you've already touched on all the addiction stuff, so I, I don't want to harp on it too much. But a guy that suffered throughout his career with forms of addiction, really ramping up when he got to WCW. Um, yeah, just super sad. And and I, this one hit me, like you said, almost like Macho Man and Dusty Rhodes. Like that was the level of sadness I felt. And not going to lie, Monday at work, <laughs> for anyone listening out there, I was pretty checked out. Um, just in my own feelings and then watching just all of the Scott Hall content that I could come up with, whether it was his ECW entrance to the Fugees that was floating around, which was great, or just going back and rewatching like a few of his matches from AWA, um, him versus the Steiners and in, in 97 where it's him and Hall or uh, him and Nash versus the Steiners, which was really good that, that whole feud. Um, and then obviously you know, his run in WWF, some of the bigger matches, him versus one, two, three kid and uh, HBK, the HBK ladder match, which still to this day are classics that people look, look at as what a ladder match should be and how things should be treated. I mean, just a great, great pro wrestler. I had the, the opportunity to meet him. He was really, really nice when I met him in person, signed some autographs for me and stuff like I can't say enough good things about Scott Hall, and it really did. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the ones I shed a tear over, especially when they showed the video package on Monday, which I, I think out of all of the wrestling companies out there, I think they did the best job of paying tribute to Scott Hall. There were individual wrestlers that I thought did a good job. Um, on Dynamite, for instance, Britt Baker had a tribute tribute gear and put on one hell of a match against Thunder Rosa, which we'll get into later but yeah just a really shitty way to start the week and just sending good vibes to hall's family and all of his friends and uh yeah man i don't know it's hard to talk about i'm about to get teared up here just thinking and, and talking about it it still doesn't seem real to me man yeah man uh i'm with you on that and uh i got some tweets and just some some stuff uh to go over and we'll talk about this Triple H, who, my God, just the last two years compared to before that previously, 
uh, I feel for him. I really do. But I'm gutted. I lost a brother. I love you, Scott. I'll see you down the road. Posted a bunch of pictures of him working at the Performance Center and laughing with him at the Hall of Fame. Um, and then also in the ring doing the, uh, the curtain call. Sean Waltman, he wore this shirt every week and had the rest of the NWO, Hulk, Dusty, Macho Man, and others always shout me out on live TV while I was out with a broken neck. Just an example of how good of a friend Scott Hall was, RIP Scott Hall. And it's him with the sick shirt, or with the six ball, which was, uh, you know, Waltman's shirt when he was six. Uh, Shawn Michaels, I love you, my friend. There was a really great interview where Shawn went into detail, if you want to find it, about his relationship and just how pivotal that ladder match was for his career. Uh, even though I'm pretty sure the first one he lost just because it became such a, I don't know, just a, just a huge WrestleMania match that's still to this day. I would say, you know, Chris mentioned the, the Sean Waltman one, two, three kid that made Sean a fucking superstar in one night from him getting that win over Razor and him wanting to put over his friend to specifically do that to try to help him get, you know, started. Um, him and Sean at WrestleMania, their other ladder match that was awesome at SummerSlam. Uh, him and Brett at the first In Your House. Incredible match. Might be better than also the one that he had at the Royal Rumble that year in, I believe, 93. Uh, but Scott was a great wrestler in the ring. You know, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me from The Rock, but The Rock said that he he was really happy to be able to tell Razor, I think, at the last Hall of Fame, or maybe just at some point, he told Scott that a lot of stuff that he learned in ring wise and try to model himself after being the same size was Scott Hall. You know, he kind of, a lot of the things and the flair that he would do in the ring, he realized that he could do that based on what Scott was doing and watching his old tapes and a little bit of that, uh, machismo persona that would go into the rocks character. Uh, but you know, you had uh page say the words, the world loves you, Scott Hall. Here's to you, including myself. She was like many part of the NXT and also indie crowd that Scott was there. He even t would tell the young guys, hey, do you have any questions about your match? Pick my brain. That's what I'm here for. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories that are, are, are told about people driving around with Scott and going to, I, 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 I think it was Luke Hawk, uh, who's part of NWA, um, said that he would ride with them and stuff like that. And they went to a steak dinner and he knew he couldn't afford really the dinner itself. And not even thinking about it, Scott paid for everything, literally just told him when he gets a chance to do it, do it for the next guy sort of thing. So I think that was really Scott's philosophy on that. Johnny Gargano and uh, Malachi, AKA Alistair black at the time said that they had an amazing moment uh, with Sean and Scott being able to observe and get notes for their future match that they were having was a ladder match, Gargano and uh, Black. And they basically were able to break down their ladder match in front of them. And both of them consider one of the best moments in their career is being able to share that. Um, just a lot of stuff from Natalia, JBL, you know, the Bellas who looked up to him. Um, there were a lot of wrestlers that have a little bit of that, 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 charm i would say that scott hall has that whole i don't give a fuck attitude and you know whether it be a damian priest 
whether it be a Tetsuya Naito, who's always given me a little bit of that type of arrogance and even does the finger thing sometimes at people. You know, that's Scott. That's another thing is his mannerisms, everything that he did. The surf boy thing that Damian Priest now does on the way of the ring. You know, the him doing the, the march up, if you will. I don't know really what to call it, but like uh, right at the beginning, you know, the toothpick, all that stuff, all that type of coolness. Sammy Guevara is another guy that I, I feel has a little bit of that. You know, it's just it's it's a it's it's something hard to generally put exactly what it is about him but he just had this cool factor that some wrestlers have and some wrestlers don't have and i think that he achieved the level of that you know when he would come out and say hey yo and do the whole entire who you here to see nwo and people will go crazy and then or wcw you know one more for the good guys like the stuff that he came up with it sucks because chris I'll, I'll, i'll put it back down to this to send it to you you know a lot of great tributes a lot of people I didn't say, obviously, Chris Bay, I love saying that Scott was for the culture and putting up that video of him coming out to the Fujis that he would do, you know, specifically in ECW and then also in Japan with him and Nash um, coming out to Ready or Not. And also just I, I love that Scott did have a connection with everyone. You know, there's pictures of him in places with a bunch of, you know, African-American kids and them having all fun climbing on top of him. And he literally said that he wanted everyone to be a fan of him. He didn't give a fuck. And you could tell he really just didn't care. And he was a great mind for the business itself, uh, you know, and just giving advice on what to do financially. And they changed him and Nash, besides changing the landscape of turning into the Monday Night Wars, they changed the pay concept when it comes to wrestlers of guaranteed money and contracts like that. They wanted to to be a part of that and they did that with wcw and that would trickle on to even smaller guys within the industry that were able to use that uh which is awesome that they contributed towards and i i just will say that unfortunately the first time i started seeing a problem because fortunately for me maybe minor stuff here and there my parents definitely drank they're italian so you know we got we got fucking steel livers or whatever but Watching him, that was the first time I actually saw someone with addiction problems live on TV in front of me towards the end of the WCW career. And it sucks because he would come out stumbling, having to get stopped by Kevin, getting sent back in the back. And uh, I was happy that he got a little bit clear-headed, and obviously DDP did a lot of good work for him for the rest of the time um, that he was here in the last decade, and, and you know th- this decade until, unfortunately the pandemic but a lot of people had a lot of good words to say about scott hall helping out always wanting to sign autographs you know even going up to a guy i forgot who it was but someone posted about how someone got annoyed with trying to get an autograph and scott kind of like was like hey man like it takes two seconds he goes that's a fan he's like i know it can be annoying but you're on television you know you can say hi to them. You can tell them some stuff. You don't need to blow them off. That's not going to help your, you or anything else. I don't know if it was Randy Orton. <laughs> I'm going to throw that little shit out there because I do love Orton, but we've heard stories. But, you know, he just seemed like he cared about his fans. He cared about the industry. He cared about wrestlers striving in the industry, uh, helping out with stuff in the 90s for, you know, great contracts that they could sign for multiple years and kind of having that with Barry Bloom. Uh, get started and then also later on 
wanted to contribute to younger wrestlers and give him his knowledge as much as he could. Uh, you know, there's some good stuff with the dark stuff, I would say, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to have to 100% agree with you um, on that. Unfortunately, you know, the last few years of Scott Hall, you get the dark side of the ring and the weird accusations of what happened on the plane ride from hell and um, a lot of those dark stories. So it was nice to see kind of a turn of event of people coming out and saying positive things about Scott. If there's one interview I would recommend people going listen to with Scott Hall, it, it's the one he did on Stone Cold's what not was it bust whatever his original show was uh, on podcast one. Uh, Scott Hall and Stone Cold had a great interview on there. I think it's like one and a half hours. I definitely recommend listening to it if you've never heard it and you're a big Scott Hall fan. I I want to say this about Scott Hall: without him, fucking NWO doesn't work because he was the cool factor, like. Nash is like kind of cool and Hogan became cool because of those two guys. But if, if they get that deal done with Hall and he doesn't leave WWF, there's no fucking NWO. It doesn't work. It was how cool he was, how good he was at promos. He had this incredible fucking look as a kid. I was like, man, it'd be so awesome to look like Scott Hall. Uh, <laughs> there's just something, like you said, it's like a natural charisma, kind of like Jeff Hardy, um, like just a natural cool factor that you, you can't fucking teach. And uh, also, you know, he's the one that planted in Sting's brain. Hey, go be the crow. <laughs> it worked for me. I picked a movie character and did a gimmick off of it. So the small things and the large things that he did for the wrestling business, I think, I don't want to say overshadow some of his demons and, and some of the things that we've heard about him in the past. And I don't want to harp on that at all. But I just, you know, I want to remind people how fucking important he was because without him, WCW doesn't make the run that they did. Because I think, like, if it's just Nash that shows up and it's not him in Hall, I, I don't think WCW ever really gets off the ground with that NWO storyline. And he was a huge part of that. And just him as Razor Ramon was easily the coolest character WWF had at the time. It's not even fucking close. Oh, yeah. And I think Sean, I think Kevin, I think everyone, Brett, who Brett, Brett Hart had a great, you know, just going over how they used to be close. They fell out of it, but just incredible of a worker he was, how important he was for the industry. And it was nice seeing and I know that they, they probably don't get along until this Kevin Nash responding to him and just thanking him for the kind words. It, it just seemed like everyone really just wanted to in every industry, too. He worked in New Japan. He worked at Impact. You know, everyone's giving tributes. AEW obviously hasn't worked for him, but they did too. And just seeing whether it be Damian Priest, you know, doing the surfer walk to the ring or uh, giving the, the the razor's edge to Finn Balor through the friggin' announce table or just, you know, doing the, if you can hear my hands, the, right afterwards after he beats him, just, that was easy. That was nothing. You know, it just, uh, it trickled on to all the shows. Kevin Owens starting off, Hey, yo, start off raw. You know, it just, it seemed like, and like you said, that, that video package, WWE, WWE made the announcement. We didn't know going into that and they finalized. And I guess, uh, Cody Hall or, or any, the family members told them go ahead and make the announcement. So that was their decision for him to do. And he had a lot of good friends, man. Diamond Dallas page is an amazing dude. 
Uh, he's tried so hard to help out his friends and bring people back from, you know, <laughs> just bad addiction problems or now, you know, what he did with Biggie and telling him, hey, man, after you feel like you're capable, you know, I helped out uh, Ricky Starks recently. If you want to come down to the, the center and we'll we'll go over some stuff specifically for your neck. It sucks that he had to find him, you know, like that. And uh, I don't know. I, 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 I feel for Kevin Nash. I feel for Triple H. I feel for Sean. I feel for both Sean's, Sean Michaels and Sean Waltman. DDP, Jake, Jake Roberts. Um, you know, I guess thanks for the memories. And uh, one good thing I will say coming out of this, Cody Hall said he's coming back to wrestling. He gave it up a long time ago, and uh, I hope he lands somewhere. And if he really is inspired by his father to try to even do more so than he did before, it's going to be hard being compared as a worker because Scott, especially for his size, was a damn good worker. Uh, but if Cody wants to do some stuff, man, I could see him back in New Japan, Impact, MLW. Where, you know, I think someone will utilize his talents, and uh, I'm happy to see that to take such a tragedy of his father passing and to be like, fuck this. I want to go back to wrestling and put an impact on it myself. Um, I think that's pretty awesome. But the wrestling industry mourns, uh, before I pass it to Chris, uh, kind of wrapping up, I will, uh, do the old quote that a lot of people have said this last week, uh, from the hall of fame in which Scott got inducted. Hard, hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Rest in peace, Scott Hall. Uh, Chris, any last words before we move on? I would just say if there's ever been a question about Scott Hall's wrestling ability, watch his work in AWA and just how good he was at everything. And I also would just hearken to what you said. Um, rest in peace, Scott Hall. Very sad Sad past few days for the wrestling industry and wrestling fans in general. And and just good vibes to Scott's friends and family and also to any wrestling fans out there that are that are feeling really broken up about this because I, I feel you from the bottom of my heart. I do as well. I want to say that I think it would be really cool. I don't know if it would happen. But if Cody met up with maybe uh you know, Mr. Morrissey, Big Kaz and uh, Enzo and form their own little faction. Uh, you know, obviously Morrissey could be the Nash, he's the Hall, and I guess Enzo's a hybrid of Diamond Dallas Page and X-Pac, so <laughs> that would be a fun thing to see on the indies. I hope Cody does well. I really do. Um, you know, his father was a fucking phenom in this industry, so sucks that we lost another one of the uh, good guys, if you will. All right, well, that was fucked. This is going to be a hard one to go from. Uh I'm not going to apologize. Cause... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that I think this is good, though, that we started the show with this because I feel like a lot of wrestling fans feel the same way that we do about this. So uh, hopefully this is a little counseling session to let some of our listeners know, hey, if you're feeling really sad this week, don't feel bad about it. I feel like everyone is kind of there as wrestling fans, especially if you grew up when Dane and I uh, did watching wrestling. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I mean, there's two newer news items, but I want to go over one that came out earlier this week, uh, reported by The Observer. 
Um, talking about Kenny Omega, uh, Dave was talking about his future, and he has to get. Uh, so he's recovering from uh, Arso, an Artho. Oh, God dang it, arthroscopic knee surgery. I'm gonna say my mind's off because of what just we talked about, but that might be a lie because I just yeah. But uh, that's gonna take about ten weeks, and that just happened recently. He also has to go in for that uh, sports hernia. And that will be about a two-month recovery. So, I mean, we're looking about four more months, I would assume, Chris, until Kenny's going to be able to be wrestling ready. And even at that point, if he's recovered from surgery, does he need time to then, you know, uh, not work out necessarily, but get himself ring ready, which is a completely different concept than being in shape, being in ring shape, you know, getting his cardio down to be able to last the matches, what she's known for, and also... The little ins and outs, if he's, you know, not wrestling constantly or as much as he was, uh, it seems like the cleaner is going to be out for a couple more months. And uh, like I said, I'm assuming about four to five more months is what I would think. Maybe three and a half. The earliest. What do you think about all this? So I would say go listen to his interview with Meltzer because he was talking specifically about how all of the doctor's appointments have been pushed back because of COVID and his rehabilitation yep. is going to be being pushed back because of COVID. So I would even go later than that. I would say probably this summer, um, probably like July or all like, well, is that what the five or six months from now? So I would, you know, I would say they're going to save him and bring him back for a pay-per-view. I would think. Um, and there's definitely going to be rehab time even after the surgeries. Uh, as far as the, the, Arthroscopic knee surgery, I think is how that's pronounced. So don't feel bad because I'm not 100% on that either. I don't claim to be a surgeon. Um, They're just cleaning out scar tissue from his knee, right? That's what that means. Mm -hmm. But the hernia surgery is the one that is a little more scary. That's probably going to take a little longer to recover from. Uh, I don't want him to rush back. I would love for him to be healthy. And I would say maybe he even needs to change the way he works in the ring similar to uh, well, I would say similar to what Daniel Bryan has done, but uh, <laughs> Daniel Bryan has started moving at a billion miles an hour. So yeah, maybe think about you, every match doesn't have to be a six-star Kenny Omega match. It's okay you, to go have like you know a four-star match. Maybe pick up and watch a lot of what Sean did later in his career after his major surgery. There was a lot of difference because he was much more reckless I would say early on because he could, he was fast. He could just do some stuff, but I feel like he picked his spots later on and still put on these incredible matches and relied more on selling and other aspects to keep his longevity going forward. Since he knew that he was on borrowed time because of that same back injury that put him out for a couple of years along with addiction. But you know, Kenny has a lot of that type of concept to his game too. And you know, he should probably also Austin, how he had to change up. I know that Brian Daniels said, uh, Brian Danielson recently said that he's going to have to start focusing more of a Minoru Suzuki way or, or Yuji Nagata um, as far as keeping it more strikes and grapples than trying to do some of the reckless stuff he's known for off the top ropes. So it seems like Kenny should probably follow suit. And I know he said that he has to inevitably. So you can still do amazing stuff and put on great matches without you know, risking your body every fucking match. You don't want to be like Dynamite Kid. 
Yeah, him talking specifically talking about one of the matches he had in the G1 with Okada, where he was so banged up that he had vertigo, and he's trying to like have these spots with Okada, um, was insane on that interview. So if you're an if you're an Omega fan, I definitely recommend checking that out. Also, like I guess he's already had surgery on the labrum because he also had a labrum injury. So yes. this man's out here was out here wrestling broken as possible, which is why I had him at my number one um, when we did our top ten this year. Just because his body of work, while being that banged up, is fucking incredible. Probably super dumb <laughs> in retrospect, but fucking incredible and something that should be saluted. Um, hopefully, it gets back soon. I. You know, I'm fine with him changing his style. I don't think that it's going to affect his matches that much. He's just that good. It just slows stuff down a little bit. And uh, I don't know, maybe don't do like barbed wire matches and (laughs) take bumps on just open aprons and all sorts of the crazy shit he was doing. Uh, Dial it back a little bit. And everyone's still going to be Kenny Omega fans. And I think him coming back after this injury, heart makes uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, he's going to be over like fucking Rover, especially if they throw him into a feud with the uh, the elite and or, you know, back into a feud with Hangman. I think that he's easily going to become the good guy in that situation. Yeah, I mean, depending on what and we'll talk about it with the big announcement of Ring of Honor, what Tony said about a weekly show, maybe ask Kenny for a show up on that, just kind of fresh doing whatever. But then again. Match rate is what we're talking about. It just going back to HBK again. It all it took was a spot where Undertaker launched Sean out of the ring and he basically kind of ricocheted off a coffin, wooden coffin, to fuck up his back to the point where he almost retired. So I've seen Kenny do crazier shit than that. Um so yeah, if you got torn labrum, you got your knees that have to get fucking redone and you know scoped out which i probably do fuck and i'm i don't do any of the stuff that he does and then all the other issues yeah that's that's a lot of uh it's a lot of stuff so hope kenny gets better i know he will and he'll come back and he'll be just as efficient of a wrestler so what i hope he's been doing and, and I, I love the don Callis promo and I hope they're building that back up, but I, I really do want him to come back as a baby face because I feel like it's going to be very similar to what Seth went through where he had to have triple H surgery. Yeah. I, I don't think the fans are going to accept him as a heel. So they need nope. to start positioning shit properly because he's going to blow the fucking roof off that building. When he shows up, there's a lot of love for Kenny Omega and the AW crowd. So you need to already start prepping whoever the hell he's going to be running through, whether it's, you know, Daniel Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson again, whether it's Moxley, whether it's Hangman, like start positioning that now so that down the line when he does show up, he has a reason to be there. And as far as the match quality goes, look, man, it doesn't you don't he doesn't always have to have a fucking 45 minute match. You know, another you example. Have a good match. You know, another example. Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho couldn't do half the shit. It wasn't just the fact that he bulked up beyond belief. He hurt himself a lot. If you remember Halloween Havoc, he does a fucking elbow drop off the top of basically a Hell in the Cell style cage with no top on it, and fucking eats shit 
you know, and he was doing stuff like that all the time. Him and uh, Paige's matches were brutal, you know, especially the uh, Halloween Havoc one. And he was older, you know, and your body deteriorates. There's no way that you can fucking, you've got to basically change up aspects to your game further you go and more injuries you deal with. And I'm pretty sure Kenny's smart enough to figure that out. What I would love to see, Chris, is Kenny come back, have whatever happens. But when it comes down to Don Callis, who kind of like is his Paul Heyman, if you will, Kenny, you know, from maybe they have a misunderstanding, maybe he interrupts him in the ring and tries to like start projecting him back as a heel. And Kenny push ends up pushing him on his ass or doing whatever, which motivates Don to maybe go behind someone like a Jay White, who Kenny has problems with, or say an Adam Cole, or maybe even a Kazuchika Okada showing up. And then, you know, Kenny's position as a babyface going against Don Callis, a.k.a. the the Paul Heyman aspect and his new recruit uh, specifically to take down Kenny Omega. Because I think you're right. There's no one that's going to want to fucking boo Kenny Omega when he comes back. They didn't want to boo Triple H after all the heinous shit that he did after being out a year. <laughs> that's the crazy thing. And I was all excited, too, when he came back. Like, it just – it was – it was – uh Incredible how that works. Kenny's not really known for being a heel, even though he tried to. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't help that Triple H came back looking cooler than he's ever fucking looked in his career with the fucking denim over leather coat, just <laughs> jacked as fuck. All about the game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I just I don't think they're gonna boo him. So set him up for something great. Give him a huge baby face run. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell Kenny what to do because this man was out here wrestling with a bazillion broken legs and shit like he's Evil Knievel. Uh, so good on him, man, and I'm excited to see him back. That's the the best thing. And then quick, I wish him a quick recovery because I'm going to be super excited when he does show back up. I'll probably pop off the couch. will be one of those moments. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to another subject before we talk about those last two big news stories. I wanted to just bring this up because we talked about this last episode with the whole Jay Briscoe thing and the uh, executive over at Warner Media that has issue with Tony signing them because of uh, tweets that they did about nine years ago and then previously before that in the 2000s, uh, freely using the F word, I will say. Uh, within their tweets, which, you know, that's stupid. That's fucking dumb. But finding out information first from Jim Cornette, who was very close to the situation, working at Ring of Honor, when all that stuff went down in 2013, um, you got to understand that there were repercussions for them doing that. Uh, Kerry Silken is a very openly gay man, uh, and that was their boss. So when that happened, they, they – had a talk obviously with Carrie, obviously with, you know, Jim, who is a very open liberal, uh, more old school, I would say, than the modern concept, but you know, whatever, same thing. Um, and the guys, it really did, like, like Chris said last week, it came back to, to their religion and the fact that their upbringing and not saying that's right, but that's just how it was presented towards them. They would then go and apologize shortly after that and not told to do it jay gave a huge portion if not all of uh one of the big nights that he wrestled uh to a gay you know uh 
a charity for people that were attack survivors that were gay, basically. So not saying it should have been swept under the rug, but there was stuff done just to inform people out there during that time period. Now, it was brought up recently uh, on an interview, and the the people just wanted to give him the floor if you wanted to address this. I still feel bad because I don't think Mark did a goddamn thing. So it kind of sucks for him being included in this. Not saying Jay should be. I think that if you take certain things and try to change as a person and show that you change, that that should be a good thing. You shouldn't be shunned and fucking completely buried and, you know, nothing will come out of it. You're just done. And with them going against FTR at the Supercard of Honor, and uh, we'll be talking about it next, Tony taking Ring of Honor and making it a weekly show either on television or streaming, you got to have the fucking Briscoes. And they're going in the Hall of Fame along with CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe. So, you know, he just basically he said this. He goes, he thought that he was taking a, a, a stand for the Lord back when he made those. And he said, I put out... A stupid tweet nine years ago, the, the most dumbest, immature, obnoxious shit I've ever done. I don't want anybody from any walk of life to feel that they can't care for the Briscoes because I promise we love everybody. We love everybody, and we just want to go out there and be professional wrestlers and give the best matches we can. I said some dumb shit a long time ago. I apologize for it, and I'm, I'll apologize for it again. It was stupid. I feel like now there are people who look at us like we can't cheer for them because they hate a certain group of people. We don't hate anybody. We love everybody. We're just some country boys. Um, Mark then said the comments were from immaturity and that they were counterproductive to what God wants, which is to be a human being and relate to others with love. Jay then said, we're not like that. When it comes to fans labeling them a certain way, the two uh, remained busy since Ring of Honor closed, uh, doing stuff with GCW, House of Glory, Warrior Wrestling, and other indies. Uh, now that AEW head Ring of Honor purchased, uh, or AEW head Tony Khan purchased Ring of Honor, the two await their fate at whatever Khan has planned for them with the new asset of, of uh, Ring of Honor. So, once again, on the record, I know that these guys have spent locker rooms with gay wrestlers like Effie uh, as of recently. And that Gary Silkin, they looked up to a lot as a mentor throughout the whole duration of time. They were in Ring of Honor. You know, I don't, no one has to fucking say anything to help out the Briscoes if they don't want to. But, you know, I kind of, I kind of hope that someone would say something that is a member of the gay community if they don't feel this way. Uh, Because I think it sucks that something like this that they admit was fucking stupid, immature, obnoxious, thinking that they were helping out their cause within their religion. You know, it just, unfortunately, people think like that because of religion. I'm not saying one way or another, because I'll admit, I'm agnostic, so I don't have a foot in the race as far as me caring about something to change my opinion that I think is right or wrong, you know, if if they really believe this stuff, there are plenty of people in the U.S. of whatever race that that will still apply to. And even though I don't understand it, that's still kind of embedded in them at a young age. And it sounds like it took not a long time for them to realize that 
how they how they thought was ignorant and they wanted to make up for it. So I think the Briscoes would be a great contribution to this new iteration of Ring of Honor. And I hope that whatever happens, whether it be Discovery taking over Warner Brothers and starting off with different executives, I just I hope that they can get past this. And if if, if they don't end up in AEW or Ring of Honor, still have a great career, period. Because uh, this this hindered them in 2013 from WWE. You know, you got to understand they did tryouts shortly after that, and this came up, and that stopped that. So they've been haunted by this for a long time. And, you know, Jay admits he said something stupid. So let's see if we can allow them to present themselves in a different light instead of just wanting them to go into the back of a cave and die in the darkness and just be by itself. I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't know, man. Wrestling fans are very. They're very different than any other sports like people are way more forgiving which obviously wrestling is not technically a sport i guess but if you look around at other aspects and sports and people who have done terrible things there seems to be more forgiveness from a fan base like for instance ben roethlisberger (laughs) beating up a woman in a bathroom stall uh being celebrated by pittsburgh steelers fans at the end of his career uh, there seems to be more fan forgiveness, especially if people try to atone for their actions later on than there is in wrestling, which is kind of weird to me. And we've talked about this in the past. I mean, I've even mentioned like, you know, Michael Vick is a good one, a good example. Uh, but <laughs> I get it, man. If you, if you hate them for what they said, you, you have all rights to, but you know, I, I just look at it. If, if someone is trying to atone for their mistakes and apologizing for them, then, you know, give them the benefit of a doubt. Otherwise, like, no one can ever grow and you're just stuck to who you are because of something you said, which is kind of a shitty way to look at the world. And I can't accept that personally, but I, I get people that do, you know. Um, I would like to see them, when they do their induction speech, apologize there as well. I think that would that would make a huge impact for their situation. I agree with you. I think that would uh, definitely help out. Um, that's a great idea. And maybe they can do that coming up because people do change. People do get less ignorant. Um, if you get a chance, if you give them a chance to, you know, like I said, Realize what they said. Realize the the errors that they did. People can change from where they are beforehand. And this is something where this was a a, a personal feeling. It's not even an action that they you know did or anything like that. This is a personal feeling that they had based on the religion. Which, like I said, once again, I'm not saying that that should have been their opinion. But you know, it's just it's it's a different error. It's something that can be corrected, and I'd like to see it corrected. And I, I hope they do something, say something at their speech. I think that would be a really smart uh, concept. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm a hundred percent like in agreement that what they said was fucking stupid, regardless of religion. But you know, I, I think that there's room for people to change. And if you live in a world where you think everybody is just that and that no one can ever change them that's like kind of a shitty world to live in i don't i don't accept that 
Me either. Honestly, look in the mirror and make sure that, you know, you haven't done anything uh, in your in your past. Try to think that you're a perfect yeah, person. In the, in the in the words of 50 cents, you shouldn't throw stones if you live in a glass house. <laughs> no shit. Thank you, 50. All right. Uh, one one more thing before we get to. Uh, well, actually, no, two more things we got to talk about. These announcements happened. Uh, one was yesterday and the other one i think was this morning basically but uh during uh busted open radio which tony has been frequent down there you know they kind of asked him uh about supercard of honor and tony on the radio once again just gave out a lot of information without saying a lot um i had to this is what he said basically i had a schedule i i had not scheduled this pay-per-view uh, but I really think it's important for me because they have sold tickets and made a commitment to the fans on the show, talking about Supercard of Honor. I see it as a transitional show in many ways that I'm really excited about because it's the first show under the new management. I don't know what that means, but we'll find out. It's also a transitional show before I will relaunch what I hope to be a great Ring of Honor television or product, a weekly series. Uh, wherever it does air or stream. So, you know, he also said there's a cool way to use some of the great wrestlers in AEW who are going to be available and make this show amazing on top of the other people already established. So it sounds like he's going to pick and choose who he wants to be a part from the old regime of of, of these people, Uh, throw some people over into you know, from AEW, maybe people that they're not utilizing as much that we've talked about. Jay Lethal! Sorry, I had something really in, trapped in my lungs. Jay Lethal! Uh, and then we can see some promise of a new show that will either be on television or streaming going forward with these people and maybe also signing some people that, I don't know, kind of have to do with Ring of Honor, whether it be a Samoa Joe, whether it be you know, um, the Briscoes, whether it be a Cesaro, which, uh, by the way, Cesaro, smart thinking. Claudio is actually ha- patenting, I think it's C-Z-R-O, so he can still be called Cesaro, basically. <laughs> but it's just, like, all in caps. If Hey, man, if you want to do that, that's that's smart on you. But he was trying to get that done. But, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is big news, confirmation. We're going to get a show. It's either going to be on uh, online or television. He's trying to figure that out. This will be the last of the old regime, but we'll have the new team involved in, in producing this last show in April. After that, it's all Tony's going forward. Uh, he wasn't going to get in the way of this last pay-per-view, which I thought the last one was the last one, but I guess Supercard of Honor will be the last one under this regime, picking back up with Tony Khan going forward. And he's going to put some AEW people there. I don't know who he's going to pick out of the last people, like, you know, your Shane Taylors, your Briscoes, et cetera, et cetera, uh, for this new version of it. But I'm excited about it, and I'm still going to keep on saying I think that this collection will be on HBO Max very soon, and this is going to be a weekly uh, NXT-like series on their streaming platform to get eyes on the HBO Max app. Um I just think it makes a lot of sense going forward. So they could make their own streaming network. This could be on another, you know, uh, outlet. But 
At the same time, where do you put it? That's that's the questions we all have. So I think streaming it, he did say that, you know, he doesn't have a plan yet. So I don't know when the next show will start up, but I'm looking forward to this relaunch. And I hope that Tony utilizes it much like Triple H is utilizing um, NXT. Somewhat bringing newer guys in, you know, to see what they can do, but also having older wrestlers there as a very smaller, more compact wrestling style show that's a part of this whole entire conglomerate with AEW being the bigger show. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this? Oh, I think if it's done right, it could be very awesome, like NXT, especially if it's just like a one-hour weekly show. It has its own special feel. It gives you a reason to pay for HBO Max if you don't actually care about any of their programming and you're just a wrestling fan. I think that's probably the best way to go. I wouldn't bury this on YouTube, especially if you're going to continue to do both Elevation and Dark. Um I hope that they get their own ring look. I, I would actually like to see them just do it in a studio similar to Impact or something and record it as opposed to trying to shove it into other AEW live shows as it's as a separate thing. But, or uh, go on a I separate tour. Yeah, on a separate tour or whatever. Do something different. Um, but yeah, I mean... It, it's exciting. I'm curious to see who is going to be producing this show and whether they brought back names that we've talked about previously as like Gabe Sapolsky and Delirious, who to me are fucking synonymous with Ring of Honor, um, almost as much as like Jim Cornette. But I don't ever see that happening, uh, <laughs> which would be great if they did bring him back and they want like an older school version of Ring of Honor. I would love to see guys like Claudio Cesaro. Uh, show up. I would love to see Samoa Joe have another run if you want to bring in some vets. But uh, I don't think you should get away from people like Hot Sauce Tracy Williams and uh, you know bring in some younger guys. They just released Janela. Maybe sign him to a Ring of Honor deal. I think that he would be fun there. Uh, Dalton Castle. I would like to see him come back. Uh, there's tons of good guys on the indie scene. Like there's. There's a lot of people they can sign and do some cool stuff with. And the big, the biggest problem Ring of Honor has ran into is that they're just been sending talent to other places. And their previous owners was it was an anthem. I always confuse fucking Impact's ownership and Ring of Honor's ownership. Sinclair. So Sinclair. Sinclair wouldn't spend any fucking money on the show. <laughs> So hopefully Tony Khan's willing to spend some money, bring in some good hopefully. talent, and you, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, you spent thirty million dollars. Money I don't know on. How much <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Tony. Tony will spend money on a fucking hotel for his wrestlers if he wanted to. Like here, you can stay here. <laughs> yeah, I just mean like on a week to week basis. I hope yeah, he's yeah. willing to pay some some good wrestlers. Uh, Session Moth, who's been in the wings, doing some dark and elevation matches. I want her to be there. Um, I'm excited, man. Jonathan Gresham. I think he should be in ring of honor. He probably should just win the fucking title straight out at this pay-per-view. We're about to talk to and be their guy. I think he's phenomenal. Um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot they can do with this company and brand. And I think the loyal fans to ring of honor will come back to it. Hopefully not. Hopefully they didn't all jump to GCW or, uh, impact or impact, <laughs> you know, 
yeah, hopefully they're willing to come back and uh, give give this new Ring of Honor a chance. And I think that's why it's important to have someone like a Gabe Sapolsky or Del- uh, Delirious involved, where you kind of know that it's not going to go too far away from what Ring of Honor is supposed to be. Yeah, if if they had Gabe, you know, Delirious, uh, if Kerry wants to come back and be some type of whatever involved in it, uh, William Regal, Christopher Daniels also contribute, or Samoa Joe creatively, and then and then Tony has like the last word, but he's not as ridiculous as fucking Vince with his TV writers. That's great. If this is going to be Tony stretched thin, doing everything, that scares me because. I don't know. That's a lot of fucking stuff to put on anyone. But um, yeah, I have a uh, I have the the matches pulled up. How much how much fucking Red Bull is Tony going to have to drink to do all Red Bull. 15 of those shows? I was being I was being generous. I was going to say he's been on the ski slopes probably for a while. <laughs> um I, I can't believe that he's able to write as many as much shit as he is, especially with these individualized storylines on like elevation and dark that are like smaller shows that build into the I, like taking on a whole new company. Hopefully he's got people there to help him and he's going to have to trust someone else. I mean, like you said, final word. And I know that he respects Vince McMahon, but you also don't want to turn into Vince McMahon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like give yourself a little bit of a break, bud. There's other people out there that can book wrestling. I promise you. I completely agree. All right. Well, uh, let's go over so far the matches we have for Supercard of Honor, which is airing April 1st. Um, this is going to be crazy. Just going past this, what will happen? Uh, this is going to be in Texas at the Curtis uh, Culwell Center in Garland, Texas. Match we have so far. We have Ninja Mac. Against someone to be announced. Uh, he's he was just just came in the Ring of Honor towards the end. It's popular in GCW. Uh, Joe Hendry going against someone to be announced. Big fan of Joe Hendry since I saw him over at Progress, and he's been in Ring of Honor for a while. Uh, Shane Swerve Strickland's going to be going against Alex Zane in a singles match. We have the Briscoe Brothers, which I think this might beat even the main event as far as wanting to see this. Briscoe Brothers, Jay and Mark Briscoe are going against FTR, Dax, and Cash uh, for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Finally, really looking forward to that. And Jonathan Gresham, uh, the the lineage champion, if you will, um, basically uh, their version of a, um, what's it called in UFC? The interim champion, because Bandito was taken out due to the... Uh, due to COVID and being in Mexico. So going against uh, the champion Bendito to find out who is the undisputed ring of honor world champion. I'm sure Deanna Peraza is going to be going against someone, maybe a Chelsea green, maybe whoever, because she is the ring of honor women's champion. Uh, so this, this is shaping up to be well, a damn good uh, pay-per-view. Chelsea's hurt. So do you think they bring in someone like Allison K or I'm just trying to think of names out there they could bring in because chelsea uh broke her arm right she did i forgot about that although she's had it in a cast for so long i forget what the when the hell it's broken and healing so that's that is true um i don't know i i i would prefer not allison k but you know just uh whoever um 
Whoever has a good, ma- whoever can have a good match with Deanna Perazzo. Hey, I have an idea, especially since Deanna is technically Impact, and they've been wanting to have a fucking match, and she doesn't have a championship anymore in AEW. What if it was DMD versus fucking uh, Deanna Perazzo for the Ring of Honor Championship at this? I don't think Deanna has a be problem. a good time to pull the trigger. Like, I don't think she would have a problem dropping to her best friend, Britt, especially since she's probably not going to be involved in the future product. Right, because she she's fully signed with Impact, so it, it's yep. going to be a one-off for her anyways. So dropping it to Britt would be fine. Um, I wonder if they do something like Chris Statlander, since they're trying to change her gimmick up. Yeah. Maybe move her to a different brand for a little bit. Like, that That would be a really good match. Or um, Serena Deeb. Yep. Yep. There you go. Or my girl Session Moth. Let's go. <laughs> hey, Session Moth, alum. Whatever happens, I hope that Danhausen somehow becomes the champion. I don't know how that will happen, but I hope he does. Or he comes out and says, I am the champ! And puts the belt up, and Jonathan Gresham or whoever smacks him in the back of the head and tells him to go take a nap. But uh, that's my um, that's what I want to see. We're gonna move on now. When he when he had the hack on the AEW website of him being a hundred no was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> oh god, dang it! All right, uh, hey love, Chris, love, love that Danhausen. <laughs> I love that Danhausen, yes, and I also love that we still don't know the the modern Brian Pillman, if you will, uh, Cody Rhodes. Basically playing with everyone's contract. We don't know where the fuck he's going to go. Um, he reportedly has signed with WWE. Uh, so Mike Johnson from P- PW Insider, one of the better uh, people out there to get information from, uh, said Cody Rhodes has signed with WWE. Multiple WWE sources have confirmed. Rose uh, inked his deal about 10 to 14 days ago. The current plan is to have Rhodes debut WrestleMania weekend with the early word among those in the company being that Rhodes will be on the Raw brand going forward. Um, and obviously it's positioned that he will be the person that will be going against Seth Rollins. My thing is, and I really believe Mike Johnson, and it's kind of been up in the air either way. I think Dave said that you know there was some legitima- legitimacy about him signing, but he didn't see him being at Raw, and it wasn't finalized 100%. Well, now it's apparently supposed to be finalized, and I just don't think it's a smart idea. If you're trying to get fucking people in the building, why not announce Cody and have him interact with Seth now leading into it? Like, if you don't have him any debuts at the show, maybe Seth comes out all disheveled like, I am Seth Rollins! What the hell? I should have a WrestleMania match! And then, adrenaline! And Cody comes out. They have a match impromptu. Neat! Good WrestleMania moment. But the whole point of this, you're trying to get people to watch the fucking thing on Peacock and people to sell out both nights at the goddamn thing that's pretty much impossible for them. So why would you not want to have them do this beforehand when you literally had Cody chance when Seth was doing a backstage interview and later when he lost to fucking Kevin Owens in that dumbass stipulation match that was presented on Raw? Don't you think they should show him before the fucking event? Uh, at this point, I don't know if it's even worth it. 
in WWE so programmed to their social media, they think that if they just put it out there, people will come. It's like filled with dreams. So this seemed like a very controlled leak to me of like, oh yeah, he signed 14 days ago, so he's gonna be at WrestleMania. Yeah. Like it, I don't know, it's just like too clean. So I don't I don't know that he's gonna show up on Raw. I think I I mean he's obviously gonna show up at Mania, which we've been saying for forever, just because. I, I, it seemed like the way, especially with the Kenny Omega interview, it it didn't seem kayfabe to me, the way they were talking about it, and the way people have talked about Cody leaving, that it was a complete shock to them. So to me, it was always about the money. He got paid more, and now he's going to WWE. And I do think it's dumb. He should have already been there like two, three weeks ago. Um, but at this point, is it going to matter if he shows up for five seconds on Raw? Is that going to change anything and also does anyone care anymore i feel like people are just tired of hearing about cody at this point and him not showing up i think last monday was definitely the time to do it i was pissed and we're about to talk about raw anyways so i'll just start off by saying i i don't give a fuck like i've heard you know dave lagreca had the same issue that i did and then of course He's on there with Tommy and mostly uh, Bully. And Bully Ray's like giving him shit like, well, you shouldn't have expected something that you heard in Dirt Sheets to be a part of the show if that's the thing that, you know, changes your opinion. Because that last match was great. That was a great match between Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And it's like, yeah, I, I agree. But if you have him, why not have him start off there? Like, I, I to me, they fucking blew it. And that Raw... I stayed through the whole entire damn thing, and there were some good things, for sure. It was hard because of hearing about Scott Hall. I even think it was great of Kevin to start off with Hey Yo, even though obviously he's a heel in this situation, to open up and go after Stone Cold to lead to that whole interaction or whatever the fuck it is. Because now Stone Cold's making it sound like in interviews that he's going to have a match. I don't even fucking know anymore. So maybe, maybe you're right about your assessment. Yeah, the KO show next night. Austin and Kevin Owens actually have a match. Still have no idea about that, but I thought that the stipulation of Kevin Owens getting fucked over by his best buddy Seth, who's like, we should both host it, or I should host it, and then you should host it. And Kevin Owens getting, being like, dude, get off my fucking ass. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I'm the one who suggested this. Austin wants to fight me. What the hell are you talking about? And then fucking putting that stipulation on the line uh, for no reason to fuck over Kevin, and they had a good match. Kevin won, and then Seth was sad, and all mad, and, and that's how it ended. I thought it, like, was meow, So, uh, yeah, fuck you Monday Night Raw again. Yeah, that, that really does come down to... That does feel like we thought we had Cody done, but we didn't, so feels bad <laughs> and then they had to rewrite it but giving kevin owens a strong win headed into wrestlemania against stone cold steve austin wasn't a bad idea no and i will say i also like the and he uh, started off the, stro- the show i was just gonna say kevin started off the show super well yeah he had intensity for sure I like the Balor Damian Priest match. I thought it was good. Like I said, I liked all the pr- the tributes that Damian did, um, you know, to his uh, someone that he looked up to in, in Scott Hall. 
We had Omos and, and Commander Aziz, which I have to say, Chris, I'm happy that this is not going to be a WrestleMania match, but I have a feeling of who Omos is probably going to go against at WrestleMania because he's been coming for a long time. But based on his picture, I don't know which coming he's been. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I really thought they were going to try to do almost an Aziz at fucking WrestleMania. I'm glad that we got that over with uh, on Monday. <laughs> I mean, like, it's I just throw almost into the fucking battle royal and call it a day. I don't know that it's the time to debut that guy at WrestleMania. <laughs> I can't even think of the dude's name. He got he to me he's been getting the Emelina treatment, which means that when he comes when he finally does Beer. show up, it'll come off like a wet fucking fart. Yeah, it's just gonna come off like a wet fart when he finally does show up because it's I don't I don't know that that six months of building someone through video packages really works. We just saw this in NXT with Daddy's girl. As uh, Alvarez would say, I don't think that anyone cares. Who? 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 Sorry. I don't, I don't have another person doing it with me, so it doesn't sound like the new day, but I was trying to do that. Um, yeah, but I could think of it's like, you know, their they're new Andre-like giant. And then I guess Fear is supposed to be like, even though he's from, this is another fucking stupid thing, okay? And just kind of borderline racist. Just like Jinder Mahal has to play the, the evil... Indian guy, even though he's from fucking Canada, like the Veer's from the U.S. He actually, there's a movie called Million Dollar Arm that's about him and his baseball career. Uh, but they've made him grow out his hair, and I guess he's going to be like the Indian Ultimate Warrior. I don't really know, but not a flattering concept to have your face looking like you're ejaculating in the fucking picture and say Veer is coming. I know it's not a, a you, but I'm just saying it looks pretty fucking awkward. So. <laughs> Why didn't they just keep his original name and have him just fucking throw ch- chairs at people? That would have been... <laughs> and give him the nickname Million Dollar Arm. I don't know, man. Why Chad Gable, an Olympian, uh, have to change his name to Chad Gable? Because we want to market that! Could you imagine if this guy has, like, a super strong arm and he's just out here yeeting chairs at people? That's, that's, what, the, that's what the people want to see. It's like Super Sabu. Exactly. exactly. Just get your hands up, kids. That's the <laughs> that's the key there. Oh man. All right. So I'm going through this, seeing if we miss anything. Bianca picked up Dewdrop again, which was pretty uh that's that's uh that's pretty awesome that they did that. Riddle and Montez Ford had a great match. It looks like it's gonna be Chad Gable and Otis, like we thought. RK RK Bro against Chad Gable and Otis against um against uh the, the Street Profits. And I really feel that if it looks like that they're trying to set up that Montez and, and uh, um, Angelo Dawkins, that Angelo's trying to make him go a little bit more heelish, if you will, in tactics than he wants to. And then we obviously have what's going to become an explosion with RK Bro just any time. We have like a little fucking bomb going off. It's either going to be RK Bro winning. Or the Alpha Academy is going to win and cause little breakups between the two other teams is what I'm uh, predicting. Do you think they turn this into a stiff match, make it like a ladder match or something because it's WrestleMania? 
I don't know. I think after what just happened, whoever has the Intercontinental title, and that's Ricochet, I think that should be a ladder match uh, to pay a little bit of homage to Scott Hall. Um, and t- and bring back either the black or white fucking IC belt, the old school ones. That new one looks atrocious. It's terrible. I agree. I fucking hate that belt. I also hate the tag belts, though. So. Me too. I don't like most of the belts in WWE. AEW has way better belts. Yeah, I said it. Bring it, bitches. Can you really back up the fact that they don't? One looks like fucking championship belts, and the other ones look like toys. You fucking break. You want to talk about AEW? Yeah, it just reminds me. It, it just reminds me of that episode of Heels where they they give him that gimmick belt with all the lights on it, and he does the Ric Flair playing naked thing. <laughs> I've definitely seen some uh, episodes of, uh, what was it? Was it Total Divas or Total Belt? No, Divas, because Naomi went ahead and fucking made the belt. Uh, with the light-up stuff, and WWE management had a problem with that. And I'm like, you guys had a fucking spinner belt. Who gives a shit at this point? <laughs> the best-looking belt they've had in the past, I don't know, five years, when, except for when they brought the, the original white IC title belt back for a while, uh, was that Brian Danielson vegan belt, which was fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was amazing because of the gimmick, though, I think. All right. Let's talk about AEW Dynamite. And uh, we'll start off with the first match. So we started off with the tag champions, uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, Jungle Express, with the world champion, Hangman Page, going against Adam Cole and Redragon, Red Dragon, whatever you want to call it, you know, just whatever. Um, And they had an awesome match. This is a fast-paced match. There was a fucking section of time where I swear to God, I'd like to know the cardio that Adam Page has, where he basically took out all three guys on the inside, on the outside, doing jumps, coming back and forth. It looked flawless. It actually looked like he nailed everything. It didn't look, you know, it didn't it didn't look like a fucking acrobatic act. It actually looked like he was just intense and going after it. And uh, I enjoyed this match. And I have to admit that I thought it was smart for the bad guys to win. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a list of, of, of cool things. Oh, the triple moonsault was fucking awesome. It was in my notes. That was cool as shit. All of them in different places doing moonsaults on all the opposition at the same time. They nailed it. Uh, stuff like that, it can come off ridiculous or it can come off really well. It just It's just based on the people doing it. And I thought all these guys were great in this match, Chris. Yeah, the commentary sold it really well, too, because they they mentioned the fact that when Luchasaurus jumped from the apron, he was almost higher than the top rope because of how tall he was. He was. And uh, and the fucking uh, double doomsday device was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, Like where Jungle Boy hit like the double jump and then hit the doomsday device, which I think they call like they used to call it the tail whip or something. But it's just like Tony Schiavone and Jr. They don't give a fuck. It's a doomsday device. (laughs) They've watched enough Road Warriors and know that's a damn doomsday device. Uh, 
regardless of how you get there. So I love that they just continue to call it the doomsday device. It's pretty funny. Um, there was a, a big a big spot early in the match where, and it was kind of a shout out to Scott Hall, where Luchasaurus almost looked like he was going to do an avalanche uh, razor's edge. And I was like, holy shit. And they uh, they got out of it. But I thought that was like kind of a cool spot. It's a really fun match. Great opener. Um I enjoyed the shit out of it. And like you said, I'm glad the heels got a win because Adam Cole needs some wins after taking, taking that loss. And uh, yeah, it was good match overall. And it was, it was, it was good to see jungle boy get pinned so that, you know, he's not John Cena invincible. Yeah, no shit. Because honestly, in that tag team, most of the time, I think, I feel like they put that on Luchasaurus because obviously he's not as elevated in the eyes of the fans. I think as jungle boy, but Luchasaurus is a fucking beast. He's a monster. He needs to not be pinned as much as... I think that's a good out, basically. And it's not like they didn't do heel tactics. They kind of did quick tags real quick. They got him out of nowhere with the, the Red Dragon. I forgot what the hell it's called. Uh, where one goes for a kick to the head. The other one sweeps out the legs. And then the boom happened right after that, you know, for the win. But uh, I thought the match was fun. The match was really fun to start off the thing and just... uh. Once again, also a nice little tribute to, you know, just a picture of Scott Hall at the beginning of it. And later on, we got to hear Tony Schiavone bring it up and say, God bless Scott Hall. And the the Razor's Edge attempted in this, the uh, the Avalanche one. And then later on, Matt Hardy would try it. You know, there was definitely a lot of winks and nods, just like on Raw, Chris. Yeah, it was uh, it was it definitely was a very fun opener. Um I'm trying to think if there was anything else I missed. There, the commentary was fucking spot on the entire night. They made me laugh a lot, which is kind of where I want to be with commentary at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Adam Cole looked like a million bucks. Like you said, his cardio was incredible. But when we get to Impact later, <laughs> talk about Alex Shelley. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. God, it. this was a great match. And this. Uh, the one thing I want to say before we get out of this match is I hate trios titles. I think they're super dumb, but AEW is the only company I can think of that would be able to pull it off successfully. Cause if they're going to give you this quality of match, every time they do a fucking trios match, then shit, why not? Why not? Yep. I agree. Well, uh, backstage Keith Lee vowed to see uh, powerhouse Hobbs and the FTW champion, um, at rampage after his match. We'll talk about that. Uh, then we had John Moxley and Brian Danielson going against Wheeler Yuta and Chuck Taylor. I loved all of this. Not only, well, before the match, I, I should say Chris Satlander had her little video we we're talking about where she started taking off her makeup, and we've we've talked about they're going to be changing the direction of her character. So she's got really good grappling. You know, she's a good wrestler. So I'm I'm curious to see where this goes with her. Uh, but. Regal went on commentary. Uh, I loved. <laughs> I forgot what he said. Oh my god, what he called Danhausen. But he saw Danhausen, and I think this was legitimately for the first time, and said, "Like, what is that ghoul? Uh, it, it's a term for like a young boy <laughs> in England. That ghoul, blah blah blah. What what is about him?" And Jr. even was like, "Yeah, seriously, Excalibur. What's what's about this guy? Because he's been asking for weeks. Like, what the fuck's his deal?" And I love their reaction because it was real. <laughs> they just don't get it, and they're not going to get it until Dan Housen's ready to go in the ring and can like actually have competition. Right now, he's kind of like there, 
And uh, yeah, I just I, <laughs> I love Danhausen, man. It's it's hilarious. Excalibur's reaction, where he's like, "Well, he's he's very evil. He's very nice, very evil." And William Regal's like, "Uh huh." <laughs> it was fucking funny. William Regal on commentary is like, "I God, I I hope he does commentary on Ring of Honor or something because it's, it's so fucking good. He was so good throughout this entire thing." I love that he's flirty with with Tony Schiavone for some reason. He's always done that. He's he's definitely embodied a little bit of that Adrian Street and his, you know, uh, androgynous almost, but not as much as Adrian, obviously. But William Regal's always kind of applied that. But yeah, uh, Ross compared Moxley and Danielson he, he, to. I was gonna say he did it a little bit with Jr. too when he gave Jim Ross the big thank you for helping him out in his career and stuff at the beginning, <laughs> and then he just goofed on X. Ex- caliber he's like i don't know anything about this guy wearing a fucking mask <laughs> oh my god uh, i bet jim Cornette pop jim Cornette somewhere popped so hard for that <laughs> yep all right so uh yeah we had um ross comparing moxley and danielson to tully and arn which it's funny uh now i'm more fascinated about them going against ftr because of how similar di- dynamic is, you have one guy that's more the brawler or the bigger dude that can really fuck you up, and then more of the guy that's the technical dude, you know, and uh, that's definitely up FTR's alley as well. Especially, like I said, they brought it up again in a backstage package, which I'll just bring it up now, just in case I forget about it within my notes, where the Young Bucks came up to FTR and was just giving him shit for throwing out Tully and being in the position they are. Even though technically they're world champions in AAA and you guys don't have belts at all, but whatever. But saying that, you know, you can you can get whoever to help you out. You can get the best there is. So I don't know if they're throwing all this out there, Chris, but it really sounds like FTR is going to be led by Bret Hart. And it would make sense for Bret to have any involvement with AEW because they're about to start a tournament at the end of next month involving his brother. So uh, do you potentially see Bret Hart representing FTR as baby faces? In a tag team? Like, can they do that? The Hitmen? Maybe? I think they could do that. I don't know that Brett wants to do that. Doesn't he still have issues with Martha? Who's the one hosting that event? Or they they squared away at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they squared away because I don't think... I think Brett's going to be representing the whole tournament itself. Um, Okay. Could be wrong, though. But yeah, yeah, there was a lot of... A lot of bad emotions. I'm hoping Brett saw the fu- her fucking side of the story on a damn documentary and, and was like, okay, maybe I should fucking resolve this. Like, because that's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, if, if everything's... Because they... I mean, at least in the dirt sheets, I guess, in quotations, they seemingly had beef for years after the Owen... She Owen wouldn't let thing. them... Um, she really wouldn't let the uh, her kids interact with any of the other family members, too. Right. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully they squared that away. That'd be awesome. That'd be That's very good to hear if that's the case. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a great, that'd be a great manager for FDR. It also makes sense since one of them saved fucking Brett's life when some retard tried to UFC shoot on him. Uh, no shit. <laughs> at the WWE Hall of and Fame. And of course. Uh, so there's reason for it. And of course, Chris, you can always do this. They can go against the Young Bucks with Bret Hart in their corner, and the Young Bucks can take who's obvious, who can be it, their mentor, 
Marginetti. Marginetti can come out and back them up. Wait a minute. <laughs> but if you guys didn't know that Marty actually did train the Young Bucks, so that's that's kind of like a funny concept that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I think they would be too afraid to get Marty Janetti in there. Well, he might have murdered someone, so we don't know. <sighs> uh, yeah. Well, then he dialed that back. <laughs> that was oh, such a weird kidding. two days. That was like a weird two days. Um. Man, that was a weird two days of Marty Jannetty just like spinning webs. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, but that would, I mean, I don't know. Like the Young Bucks don't really need anyone, right? So, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Does, does FTR actually need a manager? I'm fine with it being Bret Hart, but do they? I'm assuming they're going to win these Ring of Honor titles just because we don't know what's going to happen with the Briscoes and where Tony's going to try to slot a TV show at. Well, I love your idea also, especially if FTR wins those belts from the Briscoes, if they were to, or, or they don't, and they start having a program with them, that Tully backs up the Briscoes against FTR. I think that would be fucking awesome. And then maybe FTR, if they don't have Brett, they can bring in Arn Anderson, who's already there in their corner, you know, and you can do that. That would be... But then... FTR's the the baby faces and 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 Briscoes are the heels, so I don't know if I want that either. Uh, Briscoes are pretty good heels though, so we could, there there could be worse. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of fun things you can do with it. Even if they don't have managers, all these tech teams are so good. It's not like uh, FTR's bad on the mic or anything, so they could just you know run it solo if they need to. But the the idea of them with Brett is is pretty fun. Yeah, um, especially going against some of these other tag teams. Though Brett's promos, I think, might be worse than FTR's promos. So that's why I think Brett needs to be heel. He's only good at promos when he's a heel, except for in Canada, you know. Yeah, maybe he should kick. Maybe he should kick the leg out of somebody's leg and channel his inner <laughs> Owen. I hope. I hope everyone in this tournament will do their best to uh, kick the leg out of everyone's leg. You know, remember when I saw Brock Lesnar for the first time? Thought he was a Kodiak bear. <laughs> I'll never forget thought, that line. I thought I thought he was the same bear that used to live under my porch and lick jam off my toes. <laughs> oh my God. I used to put jelly on my toes and uh, what a weird upbringing. But it's gotta love the heart dungeon heart family. <sighs> gotta love Brett. I love that every month, like either Brett or Sean are tr- are trending, and I think something bad's happened, and I click on it, and it's just people comparing Brett and Sean. I'm like, what the fuck is this trendy? All right, all I gotta say is done anything. All I gotta say is, and I've said it many times, if you compare the influence with wrestlers in the '90s of that WWE era to modern wrestling, you have Brett and Sean, you know, that are like, if you compare the Beatles, if you will, Brett and Sean are basically John and Paul. And that means that fucking Owen is George Harrison, man. George Harrison made As My Guitar Gently Weeps and something. And fucking Here Comes the Sun by himself. So everyone needs to fucking not forget about Owen. Thank God we're going to a tournament soon. And I guess that means that Ringo is Marty. <laughs> Chris, Ringo is Marty Gennetti. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Beatles and Stones. You got to pick one for whatever reason. Well, between it's like musicians. You've you've heard musicians probably talk about like who's better between Paul and John. And I'm like, dude, they're just great. Like, do we have to fucking make this a fight? 
George Harrison did all his shit by himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. Yeah. They are great. I'm I'm more of a Paul guy, if I'm being honest. Which one is the well, Paul? John's Paul. John has to Paul. He's a little bit controversial. Brett and John thought their shit don't stink a little bit. You know? So, okay, so that's I guess that's why I'm more of an HBK guy. I would, I would say that they both were cut short in their careers as well, but it's kind of fucked up with John since he got assassinated. So, you know, yeah. Well, HBK drew more money than Brett, so... No, not in Europe, in Canada, you know. uh, Oh, oh yeah, well, he did headline three WrestleManias with fucking, well, four with Undertaker, technically, if you count the Triple H special guest referee spot. Well, you can't take away from Brett for his WrestleManias, too, though, you know. Yeah, but they weren't on the same level as, whatever. Apples to oranges. I like like Brett as well. It's semantics <laughs> at this point. I mean, if you go down the genre, then you go, all right, one of Roddy Roddy Piper's best matches, IC Championship match with Brett at WrestleMania. Two of Kurt Henning's best matches, one of them first uh, Raw, the other one at SummerSlam for the IC belt. Uh, one of Austin's best matches was at WrestleMania 13 that they had. One of Sean's best matches, actually two of them, one ended up with a screw job. You know, go on and on, but then you go Sean against Kurt Angle, Sean against John Cena, Sean against Brett. Sean against Taker, Sean against Taker again. It's it's hard. It's uh That's why that's why it's it's like that though. That's why that rivalry is there. And we weren't even talking about Brett and Sean and ended up talking about Brett and Sean, you know? Yeah, it's it's so easy to get into. The only thing I would say about Sean is uh his second run is way better than when Brett went to WCW, but that's Oh game. yeah. Oh more yeah. More than anything yeah. else. Because, like, I would say Sean's second run is actually better than his first run. I could agree with you. I think that he toned down. And he wasn't obviously fucked up on drugs for most of the time off wrestling. So (laughs) his drug was Jesus, Dan. All right. uh, But getting back to the match, man, I love that firing up part with Rilo Yuta that made me realize what direction they were going with. I already kind of felt it that way. But when he was taking those, those hits... And the AEW fans really started getting into him. And then afterwards, he loses, has a great match, and then says, looks at the fucking, <laughs> you know, Dan Housen, Orange Cassidy, and and uh, that one dude that was he was teaming with, and then looks at fucking William Regal, Brian Danielson, and John Mox, and he was like, yeah, fuck these guys, and goes back in the ring, gets in William Regal's face. Uh, you know, William Regal slaps the shit out of him. My God. Regal has one of the hardest slaps, I think, ever besides Stephanie McMahon. Jesus. Uh, and then proceeds to talk to him and say, you're not ready yet, but just come back to us when you're ready, uh, little boy or whatever degrading concept. But Wheeler Yuta had a smile on his face. And if that's their first recruit, they already lost one of them who's going to become a sports entertainer now with Chris Jericho. So uh, I think Willie Yuta is going to fit in nicely with these guys. Uh, I kind of hope that they grab, like they said, um, Lee Moriarty and maybe uh, maybe a Jay Lethal would be a great addition to this group of dudes, Chris. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Willie Yuta stuff is very interesting. And uh, shout out to Pluto TV because they have a Beyond Wrestling channel now that just shows old Beyond Wrestling events. So I've been watching a lot of Yuta and Bear Country matches from Beyond Wrestling. 
And uh, damn, Willie Reed is really good. Not that he's not been really good in AEW, but uh, that I think that would be a great combination, especially if he changes up his style based on like Daniel Bryan and John Moxley, because I feel like he can do that because he was super over and beyond. So uh, he he. It, I'm sorry, I didn't he got to some, interrupt you. No, I was just going to say he got some really good cheers in this match, too, when they started, which is good on Moxley and uh Danielson for being able to get that much heat where people actually started cheering for Yuta, which I was kind of surprised about. But uh, that, this was a really good match. Yes. Yuta gives me vibes. You know how I always like comparing. And it's not just because he's Asian American. Uh, like a little bit of a steamboat vibe. You know, his aerial ability is really good. His, his chain wrestling is really it's, it's like I've always said. You know, it's hard to find a wrestler that's a good technical wrestler, but also a good high flyer. It's usually you kind of go one way or the other, and he's really good, but he's quiet. It's like I'd like to see him bring out intensity within this group and kind of be a solo guy by himself. I think he can do a lot of uh, a lot of good things uh, in the future. And I thought it's so funny how the crowd was so happy about him leaving best friends and joining up. Well, not joining up, but potentially joining up with these guys instead. Yeah, I think that that, you know, that crowd really appreciates great wrestling. So and especially with Orange Cassidy being injured, it makes it very in you throwing him into a tag tag match with fucking Chucky T. Not nothing wrong with Chucky T. I think he's a good wrestler. He's just not. He doesn't have any kind of X factor at all, (laughs) really which sucks for him because I think he really works hard. He looks ring. like, like I said, he looks like one of the brothers from Band of Brothers. Um, or not Band of Brothers. Uh, what is that? I am a man of constant sorrow. Uh, brother, where art thou? He's, he's a guy that should really like leave for a year and grow his hair out and get like a beard going or something and come back as like a dark version of himself. Get like losing dad <laughs> Just, yeah, well, not even that. Just like I don't know, he's a guy that needs an actual gimmick other than just I'm friends with these other dudes. <laughs> but yep. uh, yeah, the fans definitely were behind Yuta in the Regal stuff, and Regal like him offering his Regal his hand for a handshake, and Regal slapping the shit out of him was pretty great. And also the way Moxley and uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, fucking ended that match. God damn, they railroaded those kids. They beat the shit out of Chucky e. T and Willie Yuta. Great, great fucking team of two dudes. Like I said, a, a great brawler and a great fucking submission wrestler. Just, and I mean, that's not saying that Moxley can't wrestle and fucking Daniel Bryanson can't hit the shit out of people. We all know that's definitely not the case. But we went from pro wrestlers, Chris, to sports entertainers. Uh, Jericho Appreciation Society came out and they had a commencement is Chris Jericho always has to label stuff a certain way, but Jericho's looking great, man. I'm so glad that he lost the weight that he did. It took that health scare, I guess, in England that he had not too long ago to kind of put him back on track. Um, you know, when you're fucking wrestling a bunch and then going on tour with a band and exerting all that energy, you know, and then you, whatever happened, whether or not he had COVID or something, something changed up his dynamic when it came to dieting and he got in super shape had a great match with Eddie Edwards performing like he hasn't in a long fucking time. I would say before, you know, when he first came out to new Japan uh, and uh, now he has his Jericho appreciation society. 
But all this makes sense because the way he applies it, yes, the name is obnoxious. It's supposed to be. He's supposed to be obnoxious. And how the fuck are you going to get, you know, Chris Jericho booed? Everyone loves to do Judas. He did a bunch of heel shit against Eddie Kingston. Everyone loves Eddie Kingston. They're still singing the song. I don't know if he's going to take away the song or if people are just going to hate him so much. But to this audience, if you call yourself a sports entertainer, that is a low blow. They turned on him instantly when he did that. And I was like, wow, this is fucking brilliant. He's just great. And then, of course, changing the names of uh, 2.0 and renamed them Matt Mannard and Angelo Parker by their real names. He gave them some weird fucking nicknames. I forgot, like like Mac Daddy, Matt Matt. Uh, basically, the reason why is because they used to be Matt and Jeff. Well, we have Matt and Jeff Hardy, so you're probably going to have to change them up a bit. But they're going by their real names. they got two new monikers. And I love that, since we just saw, I didn't know what direction they were going to go in. Uh, they, he called Garcia the mask or what the mask a of Red Death or something like that. Um, the mask of Red Death, yeah. But we had... Daniel Garcia, who's known for being this wrestler, this really good in-ring wrestler that Brian Danielson has put over as a great wrestler that a lot of people have, including commentary. And he said, so wait, you're, you're saying that we're all sports entertainer? And and I, I didn't know where they were going to go. I, I, he might have just dropped the mic and left, and that set up him with that you know last group, the, the group of pro wrestlers with William Regal and, and Brian Danielson uh, and, and John Moxley. But instead... He goes, all right, well, if you're saying that, then I am a professional, then I am a sports entertainer. And once again, the audience started booing. So this is, I thought, a great fucking segment because Jericho did it again. He reinvented himself. He's a heel. He wants you to think that the name The Influencer is obnoxious. He wants you to think that the Jericho, whatever the fuck, the the Jericho Appreciation Society is obnoxious. And he's going to get people to boo him by fucking saying that he's a sports entertainer, which for some reason last night, Chris, we had Pat McAfee claim that he's a professional wrestler. So that was kind of weird and out there. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but uh, how do you feel about Jericho setting this up this way as being a sports entertainer? All right. I'm going to be a little bit of a dick about this because isn't this just fucking Matt Cardona's current gimmick? That it, uh, I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> didn't, I didn't think he, that at all. Didn't, didn't he show up at GCW and tell everyone that he's a professional wrestler? <laughs> and then brought in his group of friends that are also professional wrestlers, which is why it's funny that he claims to be the king of the deathmatch. You mean sports entertainer? Or he yeah, sports to be entertainer. Sorry. Yes, yeah, sports entertainer. Sorry. Like, that oh, was his whole Chris, gimmick. This is GCW <laughs> compared to AEW. I'm just saying, it's not like Jericho reinvented the wheel here. He saw that it was working for Matt Cardona and was like, hey, I, I, I do doubt that? he even knew that Matt Cardona did that at GCW. And I have not been sticking up for Jericho in a long time, but there ain't no way in fucking hell he was like, Cardona did it, so now I have to do it. He's known yeah, for being a WWE ever, guy. All, all of those guys know Matt Cardona, though. Like, he was friends with a lot of those cats, especially you when Cody. You think was there. that he saw Matt Cardona and was like, I'm going to do that. 
I think it's a good chance that he's like, I'm going to spin off a version of that. It's not one in the same, but. I don't think he had. I, I don't think that he fucking paid attention at all. I think that that might be a little bit coincidental. Uh, okay. All right. Well. Well, I guess we'll know when Matt Cardona starts cutting promos. About yeah, on, on, on GCW, <laughs> a fraction of the audience watches compared to AEW. Right, right. I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm just saying the, the storyline is very similar to when Cardona well, fucking well, showed up as a sports In that situation, Matt Cardona would have seen from a bigger broadcast of AEW that Chris Jericho is doing this and then use that towards his advantage of bringing it up and saying that he did it first. Right, that's what I'm saying, is, is we'll know for sure if he feels slighted by it. But I, I just, I saw the similarities and was like, oh, okay, I see it. Um, but Jericho obviously is a lot bigger fish than Matt Cardona, even at the top of Matt's career. Actually, the top of Matt's career is probably right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I just couldn't, I, like, especially because we were just at that GCW show. <laughs> um, it was like, man... Um, they are kind of doing that because he did that in NWA too when he showed up there. So it's like yeah, he's been kind of rocking that gimmick for a while. But whatever, I, I, it doesn't really matter, right? Like at the end of the day, people recycle gimmicks all the time. I think it's great that 2.0 have something bigger to do. It's going to be fun to see, you know, Pride and Powerful and Eddie Kingston versus these guys. And I wonder who, what other friend Eddie Kingston's going to pull out to go against them as a group. And you also, like you said, you planted kind of the seed of, uh, God, I can't think of his name now. The, the mask of the red death, his new gimmick as a, uh, a Diego Garcia, a sports entertainer to see if he turns on this group down the road, if they're doing like a feud with, uh, Moxley and, and Brian Danielson at some point to see if he turns on Jericho's group. I think there's some fun stories to tell and Jericho's promo here was really good. I really liked the, uh, lady Gaga, purple jacket, purple gloves. Look <laughs> he had going. Look like that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, and Jericho, like you said, he's gotten in really good shape. Uh, I think that he's been crediting DDP yoga, which if you're following that diet, you'll cut. Cause I have done DDP yoga before you could drop like 30, 30 pounds pretty quick. If you follow that diet strict and, and do the yoga, dude, you'll cut weight. You'll get in really good shape, uh, especially if you're not drinking any kind of beers. That helps a lot. But, um, yeah, good shit by Chris Jericho. I'm excited to see this group. I just couldn't help but draw the comparison. And I was like, there's another guy out here that got fired from a certain company and then started working no, I, indies. I, I, that, that makes <laughs> sense. Now, this would be awesome if they have a collision at some point in the future over who is the real sports entertainer between them. Um but yeah, that that was a that was an interesting segment. I don't know. It's taken it's taken Eddie Kingston to make me like Chris Jericho again, and I'm finally like, all right, if he stays on this train, this is fine. But we all know that once his contract runs out, whenever how many years from now, he's going back to WWE to finish his career. I I I, I don't see it. They'll probably be like, well, we're gonna put you in the Hall of Fame in two years. They'll be like, I'm coming. Pay me more money. I hope they do something again with MJF where he's like, me making fun of you is the reason you lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did he like make a joke about the labors of Jericho? Talking about how Jericho looked present, pregnant. They had that match and then Jericho went away for a little while and then dropped like 30 pounds and got super ripped. <laughs> yep. 
you know MJF has got that loaded up in the shotgun in case they face each other again. <laughs> I hope that someday happens. Maybe it'll be turned around. Maybe MJF will be a babyface by then in a year and a half, and fucking Jericho will still be a miserable heel. Uh, it's crazy, but that can happen in that amount of time. You know, everyone thinks right. MJF, there's I, no I, way he'll ever become a babyface, and I'm like, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I, it's going to have to happen eventually, right? Because Sean Spears is going to turn on him, and then is FTR even part of the pinnacle anymore? I have no idea. I don't think so. I don't even fucking know, man. I know. Uh, but is that that's what's up next, right? The Wardlow match? Yeah, and uh, speaking of which, we had the TNT Championship match, Wardlow versus Scorpio Sky. It's a good match. Exactly what I said was going to happen, basically happened. Um, I like that Lambert's where, and I think he should continue to do this. I think they should merge the belts eventually. Uh, but if you're going to have two TNT belts, I love that he's wearing it around his neck because, well, it's a nod to him being a real life, uh, belt collector, which a lot of people know about, but also just the fact that this insufferable prick would be wearing one of the fucking belts. Like he actually earned it. Um, I just like that. He basically, this is all money transaction. This whole match was. They were going to come out, and they were going to interrupt the match. And, yeah, the DQ would go against Scorpio's record, I guess is how they were equating it, uh, because it was a DQ against Wardlow. But that's what happened, right? Yeah, because he came out and then fucking smashed him uh, while Spears, uh, you know, uh, you know, had his attention. But Wardlow got his ass beat by everyone, and this was all just money in Lambert's pocket from MJF to set it up. And he took him out with that fucking ring to the head. And, uh, yeah, this is putting him in position. What we've been waiting for. We're going to have an angry-ass fucking Wardlow this week. Probably wind to find MJF like uh, Brock Lesnar wanted to find Roman last night on SmackDown. I don't know if he's going to fucking ju- use a giant forklift to potentially try to kill him in a fucking limo. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I just remembered that. <laughs> It that that made me think immediately that Stone Cold was there giving Brock Lesnar fucking forklift driving lessons <laughs> backstage. He's in his ear and something. shit. <laughs> like, oh, like he's in his ear. Like, what do I do? What do I'm I do now? To- this where you pack it, you take it, and you put it in the second gear. No, what? Put it in the second gear. What? <laughs> Goddamn boy, you're from Canada and you live on a ranch. You ain't never drove a tractor before. <laughs> what? A harvester? That would murder people. There's no way that everyone would have been ducked down enough for that not to fucking decapitate them. Jesus Christ. Uh, it was amazing, though. Uh, getting getting back to the current show. Um, Scorpio Sky is a great champ. I hope he holds the belt for a while, especially because he's been Me undefeated. Too. I liked the idea of them screwing Wardlow out of the title. I thought they were going to do something a little different on my prediction. I thought... MJF was going to be like, look, I'll give you your contract release if you give me the title shot. And then Wardlow was going to cost MJF the title to set up the feud, but they did it kind of opposite. But it still works. I mean, uh, what I did love is Wardlow Wardlow fought fought them off at first until he got overwhelmed. And then on commentary, they did a good job of reiterating the fact it's like, yeah, Wardlow's been pissing in everyone's Cheerios for a long time. 
so no one's coming to help this guy. So at least it made yep. sense as like the baby face is getting his ass beat. It's like, yeah, he's a baby face right now, but uh, there's not a lot of people that like this guy. <laughs> so at least they gave us a reason why no one showed up to help him. Well, not only that, there was a lot of chance during that time period. It was for a specific person, CM Punk, and he was noticeably not, you know, helping Wardlow. Um, this is, uh, you know, kind of a callback when people were telling Wardlow and chanting for him and while he watched the Pinnacle and MJF beat the shit out of uh, CM Punk. So I thought that was a cool callback. And do you think, Chris, that CM Punk's going to be I don't know if he's going to be involved in this Ring of Honor thing. You know, come May is when I'm assuming they're going to try to get it jump started. But he talked about wanting to go back to this persona that he brought that was his, like kind of like his older persona. And he wasn't there. Do you think that he's going to kind of dip out and come back? Or do you think he'll be back next Wednesday to help out Wardlow or some shit? Uh, I could see it going either way. He could do both, right? If they don't have anything immediately locked up for him, if they put him with Wardlow, are they going to throw him in a tag team against like Regal and uh, Daniel Bryan and John Moxley? Are they going to do something like that? I don't know. You would think that even CM Punk might want to join them uh, in actuality. Right. So that's where it gets weird. So something where he goes back to Ring of Honor for a little bit just to help launch that brand would make some sense. If he wants to do that, I mean, he may not want to do that. That's the CM Punk's going to do what CM Punk wants to do based on how much money he's making and shit would be my guess. But uh, I don't know. Whatever they do with him will be interesting. He may come out and help Wardlow. But I, I think the story should be Wardlow overcoming the odds. And like maybe he just absolutely... You know, if he goes like the Steiner route where you just start taking out these fuckers one at a time, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he kills Sean yeah. Spears backstage. <laughs> you could do something like that where it's like he murders everybody and then the only person left is MJF and he has nowhere to run. I would probably go that route with Wardlow just based on how they're trying to build him. Um, I, Batista did uh, something I similar to that too. So it kind of – there, those two storylines – have a uh, have a lot of correlation with one another where Batista like slowly took out everyone in evolution until he got to triple H. So do well, something that's, like that. That's I funny guess. that you said that. That's funny that you said that because uh, Wardlow was literally getting interviewed and someone brought up the comparison and he said that he goes on Twitter and, you know, uh, sees side by side uh, pictures and comparisons and people comparing uh, me to, to Dave, it's just such a, a cool feeling. Dave is somebody who I haven't met and I would love to meet him to thank him because he's still somebody to this day that motivates me, you know, to do many things. He's still doing big things in life and he still motivates me and pushes me uh, uh, to this day without knowing him. But yeah, man, just life and manifestation. You look at Batista. He started as Deacon Batista wearing this uh, a suit. Uh, same with me and was silent. Same with me. Then he turned into evolution. I have been in the pinnacle, him and triple H me and max, these things that they're just crazy how they're coincidental. You can't write this stuff. It's crazy how life has been working out. So like apparently Wardlow is a big Batista fan. And, uh, I would rather people think of him as the next Batista than the next Goldberg, because 
I hear the ward low, and I'm like, nah, man, come on, give me fuck, Jesus. I guess we just don't like Goldberg. <laughs> well, Batista's way better than Goldberg <laughs> as a character, so. <laughs> It'd be awesome if fucking Dave shows up to help ward low. That would Tony be cool. got them fat. Tony got them fat stacks. <laughs> Throw them on Dave's desk. That would be fun. God, I feel bad for anyone going against that tag team, though. Jesus. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. There's a lot of cool stuff you could do with the Wardlow character. I thought he had a very good first promo. I know a lot of people thought it was kind of scripted, but uh, there's room for that in wrestling, and he'll get better as as it goes along, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Especially with as many good promos are there in that company to help him along. Absolutely. All right, so we had the return of the Hardys last night going against Private Party. This is just awesome. And I'm so happy that Private Party got to be the first tag team to work with them because, you know, we had we saw pictures of Mark Quinn, or maybe it was Isaiah Cassidy, but with uh, Jeff very young, you know, getting his something signed, and these guys really look up to him. So as much as it's part of the storyline they're building with Team... Andrade, Andrade, whatever the fuck, they haven't really na- renamed themselves um, against the Hardys, Sting, and Darby, which I think is going to become, in a competitive sense, the Hardys against Sting and Darby. But I like what they're doing until then. Uh, but this was fun. Um, it's so weird hearing them come out to that music in another fucking organization but i love that it was public domain because it's generic music used for commercials that wwe did for a good amount of years and tony fucking went and paid for that and now they can fucking use it whenever they want um yeah this just this is a pretty good match i mean there wasn't much to this it was the hardy boys are back and we're all excited about it uh are you aren't you happy to have the charismatic enigma a part of AEW, Chris. I loved. I love the face paint trio. No offense, Matt. I would love a crop out of you and that lineup in the ring when they were staring at their opposition, and it's like Jeff Hardy with face paint, Darby Allen face paint, Sting. It, it just looked to me like Nightwing, Batman, and fucking uh, Damian Robin, if you will, or Jason Todd, murderous Robin. <laughs> I, I think the thing that'll make it like really work is if Matt gets just creamed with a fucking chair in the next couple of weeks and shows up as broken Matt Hardy with his crazy hair standing in between those guys. Yes. <laughs> They've already started to delete shout out to everyone that started the brother Nero chant midway through this match, which was pretty great. Um, the, the spots that I thought were really fun is on commentary. They were talking about, you know, Matt's taught the Street Profits, so they know all of the moves. I thought they did a really good job of telling that story. And it's and, and Tony Schiavone's rebuttal was like, well, you know, just because you know what the New England Patriots are going to do doesn't mean you can stop it. Right. Uh, he yeah. made a good comparison of that. And they did a good job of showing that in the ring. There was one spot where um, private party went for the whisper in the wind and got cut off. It was pretty awesome. Some good, especially because Matt and Jeff haven't wrestled together in a while. I thought it was a really good match. And also, it's just so exciting to see my wife be excited about wrestling again because she fucking loves Jeff Hardy. So she was like, you let me know when that Hardy match is coming on. Damn it. You pause it. (laughs) Just pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, So that's always it's always a fun time. And 
it's going to be really great. I think I said this last week. It's going to be awesome when Darby and, and Jeff finally uh, have their match when my nieces got their Darby face paint on, ready to watch the pay-per-view, and, and my wife shows up with Jeff Hardy <laughs> paint on. <laughs> it's going to be really, yeah. really fun. I'm just going to dress yeah. as Sting because why not? <laughs> you got it stuck in my head now, and I want to see Willow eventually against Darby. But yeah, I mean, it's it's the it, the charismatic enigma versus the strange enigma. I mean, it's it, this was written in this guy reminds me of Jeff Hardy from JR first seeing Darby perform in front of him. And then he gave him that title, which is very similar to what he gave Jeff Hardy back in the day. But they got to collide, and then we got to see Jeff Hardy go against fucking Sammy Guevara at some point in the ladders match that no one will win, especially their bodies. But we'll get to. Yes. Sorry, I got uh, got dropped off uh, <laughs> for a second there. Uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. Hopefully, Jeff doesn't overdo overdo it and kill himself, which he's known to do. Like his return to WrestleMania, where he's like, "Oh, let me just go straight through this ladder with Sheamus on top of it. That'll be Ugh. awesome." Uh, God, that one sucked because he had Sheamus and Cesaro. He put Sheamus through one of them, and Cesaro got, like, his legs and body smacked on top of him in his face on the way down. Yeah, that was fucking violent. I love that Jeff teased the Centa- or the Swanton Bomb at first and then just a, did a frog splash. Did you, that was did pretty you notice cool. that? I also and love how he, Jeff Hardy he did it, and it. he just landed on the motherfucker instead of, like, clearing it. It's like, oh, sorry! No, he did pretty good on that one. He landed ass first on that one. I was surprised by it. He didn't squish him as hard as he did that first night back. He squished. I can't remember right. he hit with it. He That's squished right. the shit out of the guy. That this time he didn't. So, uh, look, Jeff's pretty beat up, but we still love him. He's still Jeff Hardy, and uh, <laughs> Brother Nero gives gives zero fucks about Matt's health because he's got to hit the dance before he runs out to save it. That was funny about last night with their match because they ran to the ring instead of like pausing to do their little intro thing while Darby and Sting were getting their asses beat. And like literally you can tell Matt's Matt's beat up too, man. And he's definitely feeling it because he's running at first and then he kind of slows down as Jeff goes by him and he's like, I'll just walk the rest of this thing. Fuck that. You know, <laughs> Jeff slides into the ring. <laughs> they're, they're all I also, I also love the kids. I love Sting knows they're going to take a long time, so he just starts whipping wholesale ass in the corner. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that, but if you watch Sting, he like looks at him coming down the ramp, and he's like, oh, it's going to take a while. So he just starts chopping the shit out of two dudes. Yeah, I and love like, that shit. Sting, Sting's great, man. I mean, he eventually gets taken over, but there's a second there is like Sting could dominate everyone in this ring. God, Sting's such a superhero. I love him. He's the he is the icon for a reason, and that shit still gets over when he does when he starts doing that. I wish he would take like ten minutes to learn the like you know that like weird spinning back fist thing that AJ does. Could you imagine if Sting started doing that? How fucking over it would be. Fuck yeah. Oh, Sting's Sting's a goddamn saint. <laughs> Love him. You know because of uh, the whole stuff with Scott Hall. I started watching Nitro and falling asleep to that back in 96 when Scott first came out. And, you know, 
like I said, usually with this stuff, I kind of fall asleep to it. I'll watch some of it. I'll wake up the next morning, watch it before I go to work. So you keep up with stuff. And then if you want to watch the pay-per-views, you watch pay-per-views. If you don't, you don't. But I've been, I was doing that for Raw and SmackDown in the 2000s. And I got to 2006. And now I'm going to pause for right now, go back to Nitro for a little while. But Sting just comes on the scene as a crow. And I just remember being a kid like, what the fuck's going on with Sting? Like, I'm used to the guy that's like, woo, and jumping and fucking shit. And he's just quiet as fuck in the goddamn rafters. We had a vulture at one point. It's like, I'm catching some of the best moments, Chris. It's just great. Sting, uh, you got to fucking love Sting. You just got to. And if you don't, you're you're mean. Yeah. You're caught to this great one year of the Sting comeback leading up to a good Hogan match that comes off with a fucked up finish. Ugh. And uh, only WCW could manage to fuck that up. That's a very impact gonna impact moment. <laughs> WCW gonna WCW. Yeah, it's it was a uh, god such a good time though. I remember watching that as a kid and like wanting to paint my face when I was watching fucking because I'm a nerd. Uh, same as my nieces now, I guess. It's like yeah. Let's put on the fucking paint and watch nitro Sting's going to show up. He's going to whip ass. He's got a baseball bat. I don't even, even know DDP. what that baseball bat was made of. It was like covered with construction paper at one point. It was like him and DDP dude were so fucking cool during that time period. And it's funny because I remember watching early raw 97. So this is the same time undertaker before he went to the Lord of Darkness, and he was fighting with Kane, and then you had, obviously, Austin break on the scene. Uh, they did an episode about Steve Austin with uh, The Snake Pit, which I definitely recommend. Another one of Conrad's shows with Jake Snake Roberts and DDP. And Conrad was saying, you realize, you know, obviously to fans, and, 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 and Paige was saying this, Austin went to a different level, but at that time, they both were like the cool bad guy that, you know, was doing their fucking rise at the same time. And then Sting, obviously, with The Undertaker, just, you know, then you had DX and all these change-ups of both companies. And NWO, dude, I, I just started fucking watching this, Chris. Like I said, Scott Hall comes out in the crowd. You uh, you guys know me, but you don't know me, blah, 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 blah. Does that whole entire thing. And it's been a week, and we've probably gotten, I would say, probably five months into it. And the NWO now has... Fucking Teddy Biasi, <laughs> they have X Pac, they got fucking the Giant, they got like a million. It's already like gotten to the point where it's like, man, they fucked that up right off the start. It should have just been like the three yeah. of them, five total maybe. Like there was no reason for Macho Man to go to the NWO. He was a babyface and the first guy to go against Hogan in the NWO before Piper, before Sting, and then he just joins them. It's like what? Like, they even had Elizabeth, yeah, like, they... doing that whole entire thing. It was so weird and awkward. Yeah, they rushed so much of it, and that's why it didn't last, is because they rushed so much of it. Especially, like, uh, the Giant. He fights them at Bash of the Beach and loses the title. He gets screwed over by him, and then, like, two months later, he's part of NWO. And you're like, the fuck? Because <laughs> he has this awesome match. He has an awesome match with Hogan, like a really slept on match considering how big both guys are. That's a really good fucking match. And it ends up with a screw job. And that's probably why people don't really remember it fondly. In fact, most people that remember that show fondly remembers Tony Schiavone's fake tattoo. 
and uh, <laughs> Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair was on the same card, which is fucking great. But uh, yeah, the main event was awesome with the the Giant and, and Hogan. Definitely worth watching. It's just weird because, like you said, that time period just goes so fast with NWO. So you can kind of just see it all. And then it just grows into like four. It's just all of their friends are in NWO. And it's uh, it gets really bad really quickly. Jesus. But uh, yeah, just great stuff going uh, back then. But uh, let's talk about the main event, man. This was an awesome cage match. I thought that I'm assuming maybe stuff with the Jericho stuff and other things made them have to cut it a little bit short because I could see a lot of communication between Aubrey telling Rosa and, and Britt, like, let's go, go home. But, I mean, it's still, they got, I, I want to say at least 18 minutes, I believe. It, it was definitely a long enough match. I watched it right before this again. But um, I love the the uh, giant mariachi band playing with Thunder Rosa and then her music kicking in. And she told Tommy Dreamer on Busted Open, like, you know, Tommy was like, when you get out there, you know, they kind of keep it both kayfabe and non-kayfabe at the same time. But, like, when you get out there, regardless if you end up beating Britt or not, take in that moment. And you could tell that she did. As soon as she opened up the ramp, everyone's fucking cheering for her. Like, the biggest pop, I would even say, over the Hardys that night was her coming out to San Diego, her her hometown. And just, you could tell she was emotional from that moment. And then she got aggressive you know, and all the women in the mariachi band were like cheering for her behind her, and she's at the ring with the flag. And Britt comes out. I love the tribute to Scott Hall, which he helped her a lot out in uh, in, in in Pittsburgh, where she where she came up in wrestling and shit, and gave her a lot of advice. So she had the black and white Scott Hall NWO trunks and boots, but had like almost the uh, red and black vest on. Thought it was a nice little touch. Ladies beat the living fuck out of each other. I know it's I've seen guys do some matches too when shit, I didn't I blade myself, but it didn't do as it didn't open up as much. Hey, can you punch me in the head and like and like, you know, rake me across the fucking uh, like a cheese grater across the, the 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 cage to open it up more. And, you know, this is stuff that like I think very diehard wrestling fans can tell that type of stuff, like, you know, a little bit of talking and communication shit, but they still beat the living hell out of each other. Then Britt brings in a million chairs. JR's like, who the hell did this? And it's like, JR, I love you. I got it. I understand. I'm watching Raw from back in the day. They did stupid shit like that all the time right in front of you. So I, I mean, and then Tony giving you an explanation. Well, I guess Rebel and, and Jamie fucking put all that shit at the beginning. Like, just get over it sometimes. Like, I'm sorry. I love him to death. Sometimes I'm completely behind him, especially with ref stuff and tag matches. This is the main event. This is a year ago from their fucking hardcore match that they were crazy in. Who gives a shit? But I also, I love the, uh, the size of the cage. I was like a hell in the cell, but smaller. I think that's actually cool because no one can escape. That's the old school way of doing cage matches. No one can interfere. I love how they had the ref bump and I thought they timed it perfectly because it made you think, you know, before it didn't happen, oh, shit, is Thunder Rose about to get fucked over? Are they coming in? But Aubrey came out. And you could tell, because Aubrey obviously has had conflict with Britt in the ring before. They don't like each other. And they made that very apparent. I like Britt. I I still think they overused thumbtacks. Uh, you know, it, it made it really fucking special when Mick Foley brought that out. Only, like, people think that he brought it out every fucking match. He did with Edge. He did the two with Triple H. And he did with Undertaker. 
like I don't remember maybe with Randy Orton too, maybe that one as well, that match that they had, but it wasn't like a regular occurrence that you saw all the goddamn time and now you kind of do, but still it looks vicious. It looks like it would hurt. They threw themselves up of the top to chairs and then they stacked up the chairs and did it again. I mean, they were really beating the crap out of each other, but inevitably Thunder Rosa got her finisher on Britt Baker. One, two, three instantly started crying. Dustin, who's been off and on training her and just helping her out for a long time, coming out, celebrating with her, you know, just, she looked emotional. It was great. It's amazing when you see that in wrestling. That brings the realism out because she she knows she's going to win it ahead of this whole entire thing, obviously. But the fact that the company's willing to go with her and put the championship belt after Britt had it for this long amount of time, really holding down the women's division, they trust Thunder Rosa with that belt. That's where those emotions come. The fact she's in fucking, you know, her hometown. Um, just all those things equating. Uh, just really just changed the dynamic, and she really felt it. And uh, it was it was fun. It was a really good moment in wrestling and a, a really badass match. I know they were kind of rushed, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, I, I, I think that it's okay. It's all right. So how, how did you like this match in San Antonio, the great city in Texas, um, her hometown, and Thunder Rosa beating Britt? It was predictable, Chris, but I don't have a problem with that. Good year storytelling, too. Yeah, they did. I think they did a great job building it up and, and Thunder finally getting the win here after she's already beaten Britt Baker, but it was a lights out match, so it didn't really count, right? So I thought they did a good job of building this up over the years. and or, or, Is it year or years at this point? I guess it's year. Uh, did a great job of building this up. I love the emotional moment where it's almost like Dustin Rhodes is coming out to save her um, from just breaking down in the ring. It very much had the HBK boyhood dream vibes to it, where he's just in the middle of that ring after the Iron Man match, just bawling with the title in front of his home crowd. It, it had that kind of feel to it in Dustin coming out as like old man, Dustin, who's been training her, giving her the big hug. And then it just going off the air. I thought was really, really great. You could tell they were cut for time because Jr. was trying to get more stuff in before it went off the air, but a uh, damn good match. Uh, like you said, the busted open part, like she didn't get there quite enough. And she was like, Hey, Thunder, give it to me. And Thunder Rosa fucking obliged <laughs> without, without even thinking about it, started grinding her head against the fence, doing the, 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 uh, tin punch, like really laying it in good match. Thunder took over like 80. It was mostly Brit selling this match until towards the very end. And I think it was good storytelling as well, where Brit hits, you know, she hits Thunder with this huge move. The ref takes a bump. And then she has to wait for Aubrey to get into the ring or Audrey to get into the ring because they have to unlock the cage first. So the count would have been a three count, but she was delayed by the cage having to be open and the ref being down. So I think that's a fun story to build off of. Holy shit, Britt Baker taking that power bomb, <laughs> power bomb into the <laughs> into those tacks brutal and i know that rosa took one into the tax but that was not even half as bad as what brit took and then um 
Edwards, when she's doing the pinfall after the uh, thunder bomb or whatever, she's just counting into the tax because that's how they landed. And uh, she took a picture on Twitter afterwards and she's like, this is why your dumbass doesn't do counts through tax. And in her arms, you could just see like 40 tax like sticking out of her arm where she was just trying to make the three count in the moment, which is just insane to me. Shout outs to all of them. I thought that I thought this match was fucking incredible. I don't know as good as their lights out match, but it was damn close. And I didn't have problems with the thumbtacks in this because it was a throwback to the, the first match. Uh, good shit. Really good match. I agree, man. And Thunder, like I said, I uh, think she's great. And I really do think that they might. I don't know. That whole idea with her, with with Britt Baker and Deanna Perrazzo possibly having a match for that title and her being the first Ring of Honor champion in this new regime for the women's division is an interesting concept. But also, it's kind of at the point where you can pretend it doesn't matter or not, but, you know... Well, actually, if, if if we were going to say that sanction match doesn't matter, Brett got her at the pay-per-view, do you do a rubber match, is what I'm saying, Chris, or do you pretend that that match that apparently wasn't sanctioned doesn't count is Thunder Rosa's first win against Britt, and this was the the last match, or do you send Britt back to her for a rematch right afterwards? I think the way they set it up, you get the rematch afterwards just because she was waiting for a ref to get back in the ring to make the pin. Is Brick going to have a match against Aubrey Edwards in the future? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Is, is Edwards uh, qualified to work in the ring? I don't, I don't. Has she ever been? I don't know if she's ever trained to wrestle, but why not? Sure. Unless it's like Nick Patrick having a match in WCW. No one wants that shit. <laughs> Oh, remember but, uh, when Earl Hefner and, and Nick Patrick had a match? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you could have Britt Baker win the Ring of Honor title and do a title versus title match or something. Um, or just, like, two champions versus each other. That that could be your rebound match. I feel like Jamie Hayter might be Britt's next opponent just based on what they've been telling us over the past six months of how she's not super happy to be there. So... Um, I just don't know. I guess Statlander is next in line for Thunder Rosa, especially if they're giving her a darker character. I guess, I guess we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Lots of good shit they could do. I mean, Ember Moon's still out there. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I, I don't know. The thing about Jamie Hayter, do you do that right now with her and Britt while the Wardlow and MJ, MJF shit's going on? Or do you wait until that simmers and then that could be something that you go, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if they'd want to do those at the same time. Oh, God. That's, God. That, could, that could be like six months from now, though. Yeah. <laughs> so based on AEW and how long they like to draw out feuds, that could be a long ass time from now. I think you could do both at the same time. I'm, yeah. It's interesting for sure, though. All right, well, uh, let's go over a little bit of impact before we get into the Friday shows. I just want to go over the highlights, basically, and that were three matches that I really paid firm attention to. Um, I do think that a lot of storylines are going great, and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen this April pay-per-view. I forgot. I think it's no, no, it's not no surrender. It's one of their bigger ones that they're building to. But um, 
Carl Anderson had a uh, match with uh, Diener from Violent uh, by Design, and basically at the end of it, uh, they challenged uh, Violent by Design for a tag title match. Um, but the show that was kind of like I think on the uh, the pre-show thing that they're doing right beforehand, because I actually briefly remember that. But uh, it showed showed a graphic of Scott Hall to start off. We recapped the whole Josh Alexander thing. Uh, with his confrontation with Eddie Edwards and how it led to, you know, Alexander going against Matt Taven for the main event. I think this is the thing that Chris is jumping out of his uh, skin to talk about. Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban had an amazing match. This is definitely a match to go back and watch if you didn't get a chance to. They went against Bullet Club, Jay White and Chris Bay. Uh, and also to know that Chris Bay obviously is a high flyer influenced by both these guys stylistically. Jay was partially trained by Alex Shelley and it was just an awesome fucking tag match. Very fast paced. And, uh, the win would go to, uh, the motor city machine guns, uh, when they took out Bay with the, uh, skull and bones, uh, white, uh, broke the pin, uh, at like right at the last second. And there was a little bit of an aggravation with the ref. And uh, and and Jay at the end of it. So I don't know if they're going anywhere with that, but I thought this was a fun match to start off and uh, kind of, I guess the most city machine guns are going to be going against Bullet Club. Is that what they're they're doing? Do they know they're outnumbered, Chris? Yeah, but I mean, Gorilla's Destiny still out here, so I think it'd be all That's right. Point. Uh, ah, fucking, I loved it. It was such a good match. Impact going to impact with a finish. I do love at least the commentary gave a reason why. It's like, well, yeah, he jumped in and hit a person, but the shoulders didn't come up, which kind of shits on all of pro wrestling. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> because the idea is like, if you hit a guy, if that breaks up the count because the ref got distracted, I think is what most companies go with. But like, yeah, even if someone hits the person, if they don't come off the fucking pin, if the shoulders are still down, that should still be a three count, which is the story which Impact was trying to tell, except for they don't do that every match, so it doesn't work, because uh, Impact going to Impact. But the match itself, <laughs> match itself is fucking phenomenal. Alex Shelley looks like a million goddamn dollars right now. Um, Chris Saban, being back in there with him, they were just doing tag spot after tag spot after tag spot. And I was like, yes, this is the Motor City Machine Guns I wanted. Look how fucking good they are. Look, Bask in their glory, Dane. They're the best tag team in the business. They're so fucking good. Everything looks so crisp. Chris Bay's fucking incredible. Jay White's fucking incredible. So they put them in against two great people to put them against. But Motor City Machine Guns didn't lose a single step. It was... This was my match of the week. Thought it was fucking... I love Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, but like, holy shit. 20 minutes opener. Motor City Machine Guns versus the Bullet Club. I love that they did the stand-up spot where they're going for the big dive. Uh, with Chris Bay, he has both machinery, uh, no, Jay White has both Motor City machine guns and, and he picks them up and they're about to do that spot, you know, where they all three get knocked down. But instead of doing that, Jay White pushes them forward to catch Chris Bay because that makes sense. And then they just too sweet. And I was like, dude, how, how hard was that to figure out where it doesn't look goddamn ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jay White's a fucking Little wrestling touches. genius. <laughs> uh, 
it was phenomenal. And I mean, Motor City Machine Guns did everything. They all, they went for slice bread number three at one spot, and it got broke up. They had they went for uh, Skull and Bones twice. They did double, uh, which I thought was incredible. They they both twisted uh, Chris Bay and Jay White into abdominal stretches together. Uh, at the same time, just little touches that only the Motor City Machine Guns can do. Jesus Christ, please. Can we get the Bucks and Motor City Machine Guns in another match together? Please make it happen at some point. I want it so bad. I want it so Just bad. because there's so many fans out there that love the Young Bucks so much. And I've been saying this entire time. They can't carry Motor City Machine Guns' job. They can't. <laughs> not even with the indie style. Whatever they're trying to do, they're not the Motor City Machine Guns. The Motor City Machine Guns are the fucking absolute best. And uh, Dude. yeah, this match made me very happy. Very, very happy. <laughs> Dude, the thing is, is like fans got to realize that it seems like at least that they got a lot of their influence, the Young Bucks, from Motor City Machine Guns and the Hardys. Weird. But yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like I watch this team and I'm like, the one thing I have a little bit of an issue with the Bucks is that they waste too much time sometimes setting up the moves and it becomes less believable. Motor City Machine Guns, especially being older, they're fucking just ping, ping, ping. And it all just looks like it doesn't look as, like I said earlier, it doesn't look as much as like like a performance, like a dance routine almost. It really actually just looks like they're just fast, like old school Lucha Libre, basically. And they were one of the guys that started off having great matches with the Young Bucks when they were Young Bucks, if you will. You know, back, what were they, Generation Me or some shit back then? Uh, an impact. So they yeah. looked up to the, the fucking Motor City Machine Guns. Yeah, they should look back at some of their matches and see how fucking good the Motor City Machine Guns are because it's ridiculous. I mean, this match was 100 miles an hour, and uh, Chris Bay did a lot of the work. <laughs> this He's fucking guy, awesome. He took, he took a fucking ass whipping, so shout out to Chris Bay, the, the ultimate finesse. He might take a little money, leave a little on the dresser. Shout out to Chains. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I love Chris I love Bay a lot. Bay a lot. And Jay White's great. Jay White's Jay great. White's this great. Is favorite match favorite of the week, match. dude. It's not even close. All right, I'm going to rewatch it because I watched it live, and I definitely remember a lot of it, but I'm going to rewatch it again. Uh, Steve Macklin, he went against Rhino. He beat him. Macklin looks strong. They're putting him off as a badass. They did a good job of that, and afterwards Heath uh, said, Hey, Rhino, we're not really working as singles wrestlers, so why don't we get into the tag team again? And they were both excited about this. What? How the fuck? He just went for the title. He had a gr- he had a good match against Moose for the title. Why the fuck would he be like, let's go to for those tag team belts because we can't make it as fucking singles performers? So dumb, so dumb. And Rhino's fucking Rhino, man. Jesus, like I, I don't know if you saw that, but it was so stupid. They heard the Motor City Machine Guns were back, and they were like, time to get our five star match on. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, that was fucking weird. It does play into this the Macklin story where he he told everyone not to trust Eddie Edwards, and they didn't listen to him, so he just fucking snapped and started whipping ass. But also, Impact gonna Impact because that's the story they told out of that is let's just start a tag team. Um, yeah, weird. But I mean, that's a good, that's a cool tag team. Because, you know, you can have Macklin do most of the work and then just get a big tag to Rhino and have him hit a couple gores and get the pin. It's fine. So I'm so confused on if, and I'm not going to really think about it 
too damn much. But Caleb with a K, who Tanail Dashwood and um, can't remember what her name is, uh, man. And she's kind of like Madison Rain. You know, the the photographer guy. I don't know what direction they're going because now the inspiration are like all up in his shit trying to like get him to leave them for them. And I don't know if he wants to actually get with them. If you, you know, I, 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 I'm just very confused by this whole entire thing. So this was this, this, I don't need this style of shit. This is WWE dumb shit. Honestly, he's supposed to be like an influencer, right? Like a Instagram influencer. influencer Flat out. Say it. Are we supposed to perceive him as, as, as he's been the gay friend of them? That is an influencer. That's trying to help them out. And now they're trying to get, him to go against his old friends or is there like a a sexual tension with this whole entire thing because most of us know that all of these women are fucking married <laughs> especially peyton royce and fucking bass and rain we know that as wrestling fans so it's i just i, I don't know i just don't get it are, are you asking if russo's back because this does seem very <laughs> hey bro so guess what bro you don't even know bro do you want to bang him bro or do you not want to bang him bro have you ever watched a Jerry Springer show, bro? <laughs> it does have it does have that vibe. I I've I've written this off as I don't care. Yeah, you know what I do care about? Uh, Bupinder uh, Gajir uh, had another match. He looked pretty cool. He just like I said last time, like I told you, I texted you more so with the last one. But he went against Larry D. Had a pretty good match. He's very fast for his size, and he does a lot of. Stuff that he probably shouldn't, you know, to the outside and shit like that. So he's giving me a little bit of Sabu vibe. Let's actually see if he can be a decent wrestler, though, uh, to compare him to that level. But I, I, I like what I'm seeing. I also like what I'm seeing with Mike Bailey. I know he was an indie guy that everyone was talking about for the last year or so. I always heard his name in the same calls as actually uh, Dan Housen and some of the other dudes in the last couple of years that were making on the indies. I love that Ace Austin's trying to... It seems like stab him in the back, but make a uh, relationship between the two of them. And it seems like Mike Bailey knows that, and he kind of is above it. But I like how he's just like this martial arts guy. He's small, but he's fucking just vicious, but he's a French-Canadian. So it's just a very uh, interesting way of doing it. And, uh, yeah, then we'll, that brings us to the uh, women's match, Chris. And uh, she put both titles on the line, the, Re- uh, the Reina the Reyes AAA Championship and the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. Deanna Prazo defeated Giselle Shaw, pinned her, and Lady Frost to retain both belts. This is a good match. Deanna just shows, once again, she's a great technical wrestler. She can work with fucking anyone, even two people at the same time, one way less experienced than the other two, and still pull it off and make it look pretty flawless. So... Like I said, I'm wondering what's going to happen with her in the title going forward with uh, Ring of Honor's next show coming up next month. Is Deanna Parasu the best female? Is she the best female wrestler in the in North America right now? I think on a technical standpoint, or just a pure wrestler, no one has her. Period. Right. I'm feeling the same way. I mean, like if we go out, like Carrie Hojo just came back, so. Uh, and, and Maya still in stardom. There, there's a bunch of people in stardom, but in North America, like, goddamn, she's so good. You know she, who I'm comparing her with in my head? Is Charlotte. Who? That, who? That's that's the level of, of athleticism. She's just more on a wrestling basis, where Charlotte's a great athlete that became a wrestler, if that makes sense. 
Right. Right. Too bad WWE. Too bad WWE was like Deanna Ferrazzo. Get the fuck up out of here. Let's see. Deanna Ferrazzo, <laughs> Chelsea Green, Taya Valkyrie, Ember Moon. How many more do I have to fucking say that they decided? Man, you know what? We're just not gonna. Okay, you're idiots. <sighs> Great fucking wrestling. Yeah, it's just funny because. We always talk about the men's division, but they've let a lot of great talent go from the women's division as well. Jesus. Um, Deanna's great, and she's been having incredible matches, and uh, I do want that Britt Baker. Britt Baker, I think, is better as an overall character, maybe. You could probably say the same thing about Becky, but like as far as in-ring shit goes, Deanna Prosser's been on... She's been on next-level shit for a while, so... Looking forward to more of that, and this was a good match. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we had a match where Jonah basically murdered Ziggy Dice, <laughs> and he looked like a monster. And afterwards, because he put him out, what did he do? He fucking power bombed him on the ground from the fucking stairs. Like I don't understand these bumps that PCO takes. But at the end of the fucking match, after murdering Ziggy Dice. There's uh, two, it looks like, you know, physicians, like people like, you know, in scrubs and they, they wheel out what looks like PCO's body on a gurney and PCO rises up like the undertaker fucking Jonah sells it. Great. He looks like he saw a ghost and then they start just, you know, just beating the crap out of each other. Jonah uh, managed to walk away unharmed from the cannonball that was put on him. Top rope cannonball that PCO does. But, you know, we're, we're, we're going to keep these two big guys slapping meat. Is PCO not one of the best just ridiculous gimmicks? And is Jonah not, like, I mean, the modern embodiment of, like, Bam Bam Bigelow, dude? Like, this, uh, this is fun. I like this type of shit. Yeah, I have to agree with you. PCO has been fun to watch for a while. I do want his weird vignettes back where he gets run over by cars and shit, though. Like, can we bring those back? We need to do that. Uh. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, this this was fun. Ziggy Dice is he the best jobber in the land? Yep, I think so. Yeah, think he's, he's great. He, he's he does a great job of being annoying and just getting his ass kicked. Like <laughs> every company needs a Ziggy Dice. <laughs> he was doing an NWA, and now he's doing an Impact. I think he's 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 a he's just a. Like a uh, George South, you know what I'm saying? Like this over-the-top, like fucking egotistical douchebag that talks a bunch of shit. And then gets his ass whooped. He doesn't do so much shit-talking anymore. Now he's kind of more cowardly, but uh, I still like it a lot. <laughs> I miss I miss Brian Myers doing commentary on his matches, though. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I think he might have been out there for this one. No, it wasn't this one. It was another one, but he barely said anything. And then at the end of it, I think we're coming up on that, actually. But first, Masa Slamovich came out, uh, and her next opponent was Ari. And this girl went to go fucking, like, you know, give her a handshake at the beginning of it. You know, on Ring of Honor, and Ma- Masa Slamovich does not care about that. She fucking destroyed her. Uh, Miller inter- interviewed Zicky Dice after losing to Jonah, and Dice... Almost sounded like he was basically gonna quit wrestling, and and go back to wrestling school. And then he could like had like a like a a light bulb moment, and I don't know where the fuck that's going because technically we were just working with a teacher <laughs> in Brian, uh, whatever. Um, Josh Alexander. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, where did we have that? 
Johnny Swinger came up, said a bunch of dumb shit. Let's go to the fucking main event. That's what really matters. Well, real quick, my wife, big Masa Slamovich fan. She thinks the name and look is great. So she pops for Masa Slamovich more than she does the rest of Impact. Impact. She's awesome, man. I don't know what that means, but uh, (laughs) a casual wrestling fan really likes Masa Slamovich, which I do too. I think it's like a very funny name gimmick plus her in-ring work is is pretty good so it's it's been a fun character especially because she's just destroying people right now and jobbers not big people that are already established on the roster like wwe does but just fucking people that are just like they just come in they get their fucking ass destroyed AEW and impact do that i think that way smarter and i don't know why wwe stopped doing that and said they sacrificed some of the other wrestlers to get destroyed by someone and then want to use that wrestler in an IC championship match the next week. You know, like they didn't just cut their balls off. I guess they did that with Adam Cole a little bit in Orange Cassidy, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it was kind of, I don't think Orange Cassidy's a jobber, though. <laughs> well, him, him fucking up Adam Cole to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he's not a jobber. No, he's not a jobber. But, oh, well, actually, that's how WWE makes already established wrestlers beat another established wrestler in a, in a squash match instead of getting a fucking jobber up there. So I was actually complimenting Orange Cassidy. You can tell him I said that, Chris. Uh, Josh Alexander went against Matt Taven, and they had a really fucking good match, man. They really back and forth. Matt Taven's a good wrestler. Uh, and then Josh Alexander's a great collegiate wrestler, so right there you got two guys that can fucking just work, and uh, the right person won at the end of it. And uh, afterwards, we saw Moose arrive to Josh Alexander's home, giving Alexander's wife the contract that he signed and telling it to give it to him and saying hi to his boy. And it was really fucking creepy, and I know they did this recently with AJ and Samoa Joe. That worked out a little bit better than Seth Rollins did with whoever the fuck he was going against at that time. Uh, but this one was actually pretty good. And he just was kind of dry and told him to say hi to his husband. The wife was like, get the fuck out of here. You know, but he just wanted to deliver the contract to him. Chris, no harm, right? Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be hilarious if one of these times they do this gimmick and the kids ask for autographs and photos and stuff? <laughs> like their I, I, fans. I, I, <laughs> yeah that would be kind of funny you know like if john cena did the same gimmick it'd be fucking hilarious like if they did this with kevin owens and john cena could you imagine how funny it would be, be awesome uh but yeah like uh i like this it was a retake of of the samoa joe aj styles kind of gimmick but i mean this they've been doing this triple h and randy orton kind of did something similar brian pillman and austin the, the whole house gimmick but uh, Josh Alexander being back, building in the storyline, he's doing the Goldberg, I'm doing this for my kids uh, thing. It's fun. Yeah, I think so. He, re- I, you, Me and you still believe he's going to be the next champion, right? Or is Moose going to be able to beat him and be that heel still going forward? Uh I think I think Moose needs to win at least once, right? Because right? so far he's only beat Morrissey. Yeah, you're right. 
because well he beat Josh, but that was like a fucking TLC thing to take the title. Yeah, I don't. Well, I think he defended it a couple other times. Once against Zicky Dice, but it was that match where he didn't even take off his suit. He just went out there and fucking destroyed him. So he might have done like little things here and there, but nothing substantial. I guess Morrissey would have been the biggest competitor for anything so far, like the actual pay per view match. Yeah, and he broke Morrissey's neck before the match with that sick guillotine chair spot that looked like shit on TV. <laughs> I'm like, y'all couldn't have re-recorded that in the studio? Like, <laughs> wait, didn't <laughs> you remember? That? I forgot about that. I forgot about that. That uh, they did that on Raw too, with Becky coming out. And taking out Bianca Belair and ch- uh, crushing her trachea by doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of did we that. Know with Morris. We know it's not real. We know it's not. We're not dumb anymore, guys. I mean, sorry. I mean, well, the thing with Impact is they could just re-record it because everyone knows they're in a studio audience. <laughs> so they could have done like multiple takes of that. Um, but. Yeah, that looked like shit, and that's how Morrissey lost, is he had a weak neck, so he lost to Moose because of that. And that's, like, his only title defense. So, I I mean, you could give it to Josh Alexander. I don't know how the fans are going to treat that. I think they like Josh Alexander, but people also really like Moose. So, maybe give him a little bit of a longer reign. Also, Impact going to Impact, so I don't know. Impact going to Impact and WWE going to WWE. Because we have Brock Lesnar doing basically giant Brock Lesnar, Stone Cold style shit. And uh, it started off with Roman Reigns with the Usos and Paul Heyman coming out on SmackDown last night. And Roman's boasting about all of his accomplishments and how he's going to beat the shit out of Brock Lesnar and whatnot. And asked uh, Heyman... You know, uh, so you know for a fact that Brock's not going to be here. Why, first of all, though, really, why the fuck is Brock still communicating with Paul Heyman? I don't know. But anyways, Brock sends him a text. Hey, I'll be here in five minutes or something to that line. So Paul gets all scared. He tells Roman and they decide to get the fuck out of there. So Roman's still pulling a little bit of, you know, the the bitch heel type of maneuvers. I don't know if actually you should go for that, but I get it because it's Brock fucking Lesnar. Well, they go to the back and they get in their limo and they're about to take off. Well, Brock Lesnar's right there in a, what looks like a fucking forklift monster truck. I don't know what the fuck it was. And he goes and smashes into the limo, taking out the windows and somehow not decapitating either member of the Usos, Roman Reigns or Paul Heyman. So when that happens, before Brock can get out and find him, they ditch out the fucking vehicle, get into another vehicle, and get the hell out of there. And Brock went out, I thought, cut a pretty damn good promo and uh, said that he basically was going to fucking destroy them. He carried to the ring one of the doors of the truck that they sped off in. He ripped it off the hinges and then just carried that motherfucker like it was nothing to the ring and said that he was coming for blood at WrestleMania for Roman Reigns. So the beast is pissed about what happened at Madison square garden, Chris, and he, he doesn't care if he murders them. He almost murdered them. (laughs) I love Canadian redneck rock. It's the best. (laughs) It's so good. 
Um, I loved everything about this, but I love ridiculous moments. This is the reason I watch WWE is for the good ridiculous moments. And this was one of those good ridiculous moments because it's also believable because if you're like, Hey Brock, I bet you five bucks. You can't rip the door off that car. You're going to be out $5. (laughs) Look at that man. He's the size of most family sedans. It doesn't. It's fucking. Fuck. <laughs> he it's is fuck. so fucking big. I have a Ford Focus. He's half the size of my Ford Focus. I promise you. <laughs> so it's. I thought it was incredible that he drug the door out with him. I wish he would have said something like, "I'm gonna beat your ass with the door," and then showed up at WrestleMania with the door. <laughs> During his intro. Uh, It's incredible, man. Brock's on fire. And uh, this new happy Brock where he just wants to talk about watching Friends and his social anxiety. (laughs) I think a lot of people relate to. (laughs) He's like, look, man, after COVID, I really chilled out. I just want to run my ranch, beat ass, (laughs) watch an episode of Friends. Rachel's my favorite character. character. I love it. It's so fucking awesome. And I love that he's found his inner promo voice. It took him years and years, but like, I guess after watching so many other WWE people have so much bad promos, he's like, I'm really not that bad on the mic. (laughs) Like, he sits through Seth Rollins doing the Joker laugh, and he's like, huh, in comparison, I'm really not that bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so now they're just giving him like the, uh, the Braun Strowman thing. They're like, Hey, or they're giving a combination of Braun Strowman and, uh, Austin. They're like, drive a fucking forklift, flip over some vehicles with your bare hands. Let's go. And I didn't take it as Roman being a chicken shit. I think the Roman's smart. He's like, well, he can't win the title. I mean, if he kills me, I can't defend the title. So I guess I'll technically. <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs> But, like, you know, Roman's being smart about this. He had a backup car. So, you know, he was one step ahead. They, like, drive it off, and, like, Jay's like, dude, he fucking ripped the damn door off the car. This is my car. Like, that shit. (laughs) Fucking ridiculous. It was great. I love the storyline. I still think it's the best storyline in wrestling, and they did a good job of keeping it going. Because what's a better, like, think of American storylines in wrestling right now. What What is the best? There's a continue continuing storyline. Brock and Roman. And I think that coming second, both are W or AW, so I'll give him that. And that's Punk and MJF, which I think is kind of paused right now or done. And then Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, which is either paused right now or done. But yeah, I think the number one has been for a while is Brock and Roman. Right. And uh I'm I'm excited for it. I would say second is Kevin Owens and Steve Austin. Just because it's Steve Austin and Kevin Owens hating Texas. I relate to sorry, Texas fix your fucking airports, bud. What? Uh, <laughs> which he, which he liked, which Kevin Owens liked <laughs> me bitching about DFW on Twitter. So <laughs> good shit. Good for you. I'm proud of you. Get the little liker from uh, Mr. KO. Um, Kevin Owens is so he's on fire right now. I think he made he might have made the right decision. I hope he gets the title though at some point soon in the future. Well, if he beats Austin, he's gonna be guaranteed a title shot, right? 
Yep. Yeah, I feel, like know, Austin, I feel like Austin's like, going to put him over. Yeah, I, I really am starting to believe it's a match, man. Just by the interview that Stone Cold did recently where he was talking about it. Um, I can't remember who. It was a random sports interview. I can't remember exactly, but very short. But, yeah, he talked about it. He goes, you know, he's like, Kevin Owens is the right person to go against, blah, blah, blah. But he made it sound like it's a fucking match. So I don't know why they're teetering on this. I think it should be confirmed. What if it's what I'm saying is if you actually have a match that's going to be there once again, just like Cody, make this announcement beforehand. Have Austin come out on Raw, whoop his ass real quick, and be like, "I don't need your KO show. Let's have a match." What? And then throw the mic at his face and stomp the fuck out of there. Like, just needs one time because if not, why are you luring people in with a KO show when it's going to be a match? If it is going to be a match, is what I'm saying. Because because I think they need Austin on both shows. Really? Yeah. The only other, the only other way I see around it, it's it's either he sets up a match with Kevin Owens, or he sets up a tag match with Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins versus him and Cody on the first night. I'm down for that. And then you can spin off the Cody Seth feud after that if you want to, um, and move Kevin Owens along. But I I could see them doing either of those things. But I mean, like I said. You know, can't everyone purchase two WrestleMania tickets at two hundred to three hundred dollars a fucking pop for these two nights in Jerry's World out in Dallas, Texas? Like, like shows goddamn expensive. So if you're a fan and you don't get to see fucking Austin, <laughs> that that really really sucks. That's you're gonna get a lot of backlash from that. Well, all I have to also say is, did you know that Cody has a Adrenaline in his bones. Adrenaline in my bones. All right. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Hopefully, and he gets, <laughs> hopefully he gets a new theme song. But I'm worried of what it's going to be because this man tattooed his own like emblem on his neck. I don't want it to be uh, Broken Fucking Mirrors. That song sucks. That is terrible. <laughs> Whoa! comes out by fucking kryptonite by <laughs> nickelback oh. or whatever <laughs> is that three doors down <laughs> three dog night actually made that oh, no, i'm just three, kidding three, uh. <laughs> three. don't don't you shit on three dog night like that was both <laughs> i saw them at, at, at stone mountain one time it was great <laughs> i bet it's probably a really good time yeah they, they have a lot of hits actually um yeah Anyways, Shinsuke Nakamura, Rick Boogs got a strong win over Los Lotharios. I think they're building Los Lotharios for the future. They're doing this thing where they have the kiss cam. It's awkward because we know that he's married because he fucking asked for the marriage on NXT when he was there. Whatever. So we're, we're going with Angel being a terrible husband. Uh, but, yeah, it was a really good match. Uh, Knox and uh, Boogs won. Strong win for the guys that are going to WrestleMania out of nowhere against the Usos. Uh, Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders went against Happy Corbin, Jinder Mahal, and Shanky, and they beat them. Uh, did anyone think anything else was going to happen with that? Sasha Banks and Naomi. This is actually a little bit of a slowdown. Sasha Banks and Naomi went against Lib Morgan and Rhea Ripley. Um, it was a good match, uh, but there was no contest because, you know, right when things were getting heated, Sasha and Naomi came out, 
And then Shayna Baszler and Natalya came out, and they had a big brawl, and the referees had to get in the uh, way. And what do you know? It, it, it's going to go from a three-way tag match. They decided to give Shayna Baszler and Natalya for doing a bad thing and coming at the end and causing more havoc uh, to be a part of this match for the women's titles, Chris. So apparently you get good things if you do bad stuff. I don't fucking know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think they missed a golden opportunity of bringing Naomi into the family tribe, being that she's married to one of the Usos and giving her a heel turn of some sort, or having her go against the tribe and kind of bringing in someone like Shayna Baszler as an enforcer, as opposed to doing just a random ass fucking tag. I don't care about any of this. I'm not going to lie. It's all the the other women that we like in wrestling, basically, in the last match they have available. That's what right. it is. And WWE's not going to give a shit about it after WrestleMania, so I, I don't feel like I need to care about it now, even though I like a lot of the performers in this match. Yeah, because it's Sasha Banks, Naomi, <laughs> Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, Shayna Baszler. Uh, I mean, it's it's all the it's all the big ones. Oh, yeah, who is the fourth one? I'm sorry. I screwed that up. No, no, no. It's, I thought, am I losing my mind? I mean, I just watched this last night, but I was really tired. So, who was the one who caused the distraction? Shotzi. Oh. I don't remember this. Wait, wait, wait. The champions. Who are the champions? It's not them. It's the ones that just beat fucking, uh, no, no, no. It's Selena Vega and fucking Carmella. So that's the other people. Okay. So that's what happened. They had the match and Baszler and Natalia hit the ring and beat them up because I, I kind of fucked up on this one, but yeah, it's going to be a four way. And th- I know for a fact, especially what they're doing with Zelina getting beaten every single time, because Carmela is up Corey's ass that they're not going to win the fucking match. So I believe that this will be, uh, Naomi and fucking Sasha, right? Out of these four teams. It'll be fun having Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler in the in the fucking ring together, I guess. I'm just going to go back to my previous statement of I don't care enough. To care <laughs> because <laughs> uh, because yeah. WWE is going to forget about the champions immediately after this happens. Like, it's... You're right. I don't know. They, it, it doesn't... It, it's never mattered. <laughs> God damn it. I said this what two years ago when they created the women's tag division. It doesn't matter. They have a hard enough time with the fucking men's tag division. Two men's tag divisions. Yep. I don't know. But you know what I actually do care about? What happened next? Because talking about cool factors, it might not be to a uh, razor level, but Pat McAfee is fucking cool. And he's relatable. And he's actually, you know... I saw Ric Flair and Jim Cornette put him up, put him over for that whole thing he did last week with Austin Theory and jumping on top of the fucking, you know, uh, announce table and jumping off and shit like that. And just he has so much poise, especially he has he's not this is this has to be the biggest crowd he's ever done a fucking promo in front of. And he didn't look scared at all. So basically before the break, Michael Cole says. Hey, man, well, because at the beginning he was saying that you should probably apologize on air about what you did, and Pat kind of was being stubborn about it. So apparently Vince wants to talk to him. Pat leaves. He goes and talks to him. And then he comes out, and it seems like what 
Vince wanted to do was come out and apologize, but instead he fucking just starts, you know, he comes out. Um, Pat says on Monday night, when all hell was breaking loose, he found the thing that he thought he was put on earth to do. Other professions got in the way, but finally, after retiring, he got a call from the greatest of all time, Michael Cole, which got a lot of boost, and asked him if he wanted to work on SmackDown. Pat says, oh, give me a hell yeah. Everyone said hell yeah, of course. He told Michael Cole that he uh, was reaming, dreaming of being in the WWS, of traveling to cities like Charlotte, North Carolina, Big Pop. Out comes Austin Theory with his music. Pa- uh, Pat says... He was just suggested that he should apologize to him or lose his dream uh, of being in this WrestleMania match. So Pat tells Austin Theory that he is sorry, but doesn't say it. Uh, he he says basically, I'm so and then stops, and then I apologize. And he says, I apologize for beating your ass last week. That he's sorry that his parents raised a douchebag. That he's sorry that he made his filter face relevant. That he apologizes that he's a punk little bitch. And Austin uh, Theory goes from like being pissed. He smiles. He takes his phone, takes a selfie with Pat, who's like, what the fuck? He pushes Pat on his ass a little bit. And then, no, no, he just pushed him back and then left the ring. So I guess that was, uh, I liked everything Pat McAfee did. I don't really know if I care about the element with him and Austin, other than I liked Austin Theory. And, you know, this is going to be a good match, much better of a work match than fucking Pat and Vince. Uh, but Austin Theory looked like a little bitch in this, didn't he? I mean, I guess that's the point. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. Theory is being the good son. He speaks when spoken to. <laughs> good point. I, I, can't, I, I can't wait until Vince cuts the promo. Where he's like, you're my only real son now. And he talks about Triple H and, and Shane McMahon. <laughs> Because that would be that would be some hill shit if he did that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be that's gonna be a better match than and Vince can still get involved to some extent. They could do a screw job type deal. They could have Vince, you know, slam Pat with a chair. Pat turned me like into a believer. I I was so against him coming into NXT, and uh, he proved me wrong. And I like to give people respect when they prove me wrong. And he's done a great job on commentary. He's proven that he can wrestle in the ring, and goddamn, can he cut a hell of a promo. So, I'm glad that he's getting a WrestleMania moment. I think he he probably deserves it, and it'll be fun, or has earned it, I should say. Um, so it'll be a fun it'll be a fun match between him and Austin Theory. Plus, Austin's gonna do most of the fucking selling. He's great at it. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I I've heard. Quite a few people say this, including Ric Flair. I don't know why he's not just full-time wrestling. <laughs> like, I, I I get that you have a good... He makes Michael Cole tolerable. Like, you know, I like their commentating team. It's probably, I would say, over Taz, probably the best person that Michael Cole has been with as as far as, like, making me like them together. Uh, and um, he's he's got so much charisma. He's a good-looking dude. He's in shape. You know, I think he's still in his 30s. It's like, if he has all his ability, why not take advantage of it? So, I'm glad he's getting a WrestleMania moment, though. I mean, if I'm Pat, and I made a lot of money playing football beforehand, and I know I'm a big fan of wrestling, and I went through wrestling training, I know where that road can lead. 
why the hell would he want to wrestle full-time? That's a good point. You know, like, if you can save your fucking bump card, if he's only going to come out for one or two matches a year, that's smart on him if you're going to get paid the same amount of money. So I'm not going to hate on the guy for that. I mean, he could be a full-time wrestler, but, like, as a person, why the fuck would he want to do that? Good point. Oh, definitely. All right, so the rest of the stuff leading up to the main event. Uh, I remember we had a segment with uh, with Sami Zayn, who was distraught and pissed that he lost the IC title still, saying that he was going to basically just destroy uh, Johnny Knoxville. Johnny came back and, uh, you know, talked shit about him. That was about it. And then Ridge Holland uh, beat Kofi Kingston in a match. So I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing at SummerSlam, but I'm a... I, I they got Butch involved. Oh my god, I just called Pete Dunn Butch. God dang it. Um like I, I, I don't know like if they're gonna what I think they should do is if it's gonna be now Kofi and Xavier going against two of these guys, I would rather see Seamus and Butch. I just did it again. Damn it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> are you hoping that uh fucking xavier woods yeets one of these guys as hard as ridge yeeted uh biggie we'll <laughs> get a little bit of a receipt well seamus he's got not a lot left on his bump card we know that because his final stenosis and pete dunn i don't want to see him get fucking yeeted it would have to be ridge holland obviously but i don't want him involved in the fucking match now <laughs> I'm I'm kidding. Uh, it was nice to see that Biggie's posting videos of him walking around in his neighborhood with yep. his neck brace, talking about his recovery and stuff. So, all joking aside, uh, I knew Day's winning this match, regardless of who's in there. So, shout out to New Day. Oh, so this closed with Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. Um. The, the gist of it was Charlotte came out, talked a bunch of trash about Ronda. Ronda saw him, Titan Tron was staring at this whole entire thing, waited for a little while, and then she was like, fuck this. Went to the ring. When she got in there, Charlotte grabbed a uh, kendo stick out of nowhere. I don't know where the hell she planted it, but Ronda didn't see it coming. But then she just fucking throws it out of the way and starts judo throwing the shit out of, out of uh, Charlotte. It would go outside, basically, and would inevitably end up with Charlotte Flair uh, getting the better. Well, actually, she kind of she busted her mouth open, so that's what happened. Char- uh, Ronda, I think, came and kicked her, and she kicked her really fucking stiff. So Charlotte gave her a couple strikes to the face. I don't know if they were like, let's let's actually go at it a little bit, but one of the elbows, you know, busted open her mouth, and so Ronda's kind of bleeding from the mouth. She uh, Charlotte goes to throw her into the uh, the fucking ring thing. God dang it. The corner part. I can't think of it right now. Uh, but then gets it reversed. Charlotte gets thrown into it, gets thrown into it again. And then Charlotte gets a kendo stick, hits her a couple times and power bombs her through the announce table, standing over her corpse for as the show goes off, Chris. So uh, I still don't have as much care into this program as I think I should. And I think one of the things we talked about is the fact that They've made Ronda tamper the badass, like, you know, cold staring fucking monster, kind of like a Brock Lesnar type and made her like try to be smiley and shit. That last promo did not help. But 
I thought the confrontation was good. I, I don't know. Do you care about this as much or more than you did before because of this? Not really. It makes me think that Ronda is going to win the belt, though. Just because she just took a hard L from Charlotte during this segment, which always makes me nervous. <sighs> but yeah, I, I don't. I honestly haven't really cared about Ronda ever, so <laughs> it's. It, I guess it's hard to justify my opinion. No, that makes sense. I just this is apparently going to be the first main event on night one where night two will be Brock and Roman. And I literally have more care about a lot of the matches on here other than this one specifically. (laughs) I I think that goes back to the CM Punk buy one, get one free main events. Yep. (laughs) Where they're going to put it in the middle of the card as a quote unquote main event. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but uh, it'll be a good match. Hopefully. I mean, Charlotte should be able to carry a good match out of Ronda, I would think. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about the match quality. It's more the care. I think I care more about Bianca and fucking uh, getting her or, or Becky getting her come up. It's from Bianca for their fucking title match over this one, even though this, I guess, is the quote unquote bigger names out of the women. Well, they killed. Well, they killed Ronda for me when she immediately came out and then shit on the fans, and then immediately turned happy, smiley, baby face. Um, yeah, makes so sense. It's it's like it's even hard to care about her. Her is like a Terminator. No, I, I agree. All right, um, let's go over Rampage a little bit before we get out of here. Trying. All right, so we started off with Darby Allen, the Butcher, right off the start. Uh, Sting, and then the Blade and the Bunny were all ringside. And, I mean, Darby Allen's just a fucking monster. Uh, Butcher, like we said beforehand, looks in great shape. Um, he's definitely lost a bunch of weight, just looks a lot more, like, you know, cut. And just looks like a badass. Like I said, at, um, unfortunately... The the blade and the bunny, and even though I will give this that uh, the blade, uh, I forgot what his name is from fucking uh, Impact, but he might be the better wrestler, but he's just kind of plain. Butcher looks cool. He's different. So he's kind of like, if you will, the uh, out of this group of fucking things, like who I'd like to see branch off by himself in the future and do his own thing or maybe tag with someone. Like him and they're good friends in real life. I know that one's a part of the House of Black, but him and Brody King would be a fucking scary looking tag team. So maybe he he joins House of Black. I have no idea. Just throwing it out there. But uh, there was a part where Darby went to go do his signature spear, and it was the momentum of 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 Darby, but also the Butcher just wasn't in the right place. And Darby almost went into the fucking crowd. Butcher grabbed him and kind of forced him not to go as far uh, instead of it him hitting him. So. Darby's fucking crazy, man. But um, this would all end, like we kind of talked about earlier, with Darby getting the win and then them jumping those two guys and the Hardys running to save them. So it was a good, fun opening match. Good to see the Hardys uh, come out. And we have this dynamic of what's going to happen 
with the Hardys and Sting and Darby. And so that's still a very cool factor going forward, Chris. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a. I thought it was a good, really good opening match. I kind of liked the finish because it, it did protect the butcher a little bit because he didn't get pinned. He just like, wasn't able to get up after the top rope coffin drop to the outside and Darby just barely beat the 10 count. So it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but yeah. I'm much like you, he is kind of the odd man out in this group. <laughs> So him joining the House of Black would make a lot of sense, probably even more so than Buddy Murphy. Uh, but Buddy Murphy would look great in in that in the match they have later on. So I'm not gonna, you know, they're doing they're weird doing stuff. I'm just thinking, man. Him and uh, Jericho was joking how like there's so many musicians because uh, Birdie King's a guitarist for a fucking death metal band. Then you have obviously Andy Williams, who's the butcher, who's the bassist of Every Time I Die. And Jericho's like, we just need to find a fucking drummer, man. And we got like a fucking super group out of our, out of the wrestlers in AEW. Because they've all, they've all built a bond around music between all of them. But I would love to see Butcher and fucking Brody King come into the ring. That would be a scary fucking tag team. Like, especially if Butcher brings back the fucking monocle, like we all yes. like. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that would be a scary ass tag team. I've been saying for a long time that AEW needs like a Road Warriors, yes, just big hoss ass tag team, and that would be a great one. Um, but yeah, like this was a good match. I, I you know, I'm assuming that Andrade's little group is going to fall apart very quickly, anyways. So I don't know. Who knows what's next for the Butcher? I feel like it would be. I, I want him and Joe Doring in a tag team together. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> send, send, let's, let's put the two big redneck looking dudes together. My wife was like, how old is the butcher? And I was like, 175 years old. I don't know. He plays metal. That's what happens when you play, <laughs> play metal as long as he has. I did like the commentary where Darby bit his fucking uh, fretting hand. And Jericho's like, oh, no, if he tears the ligaments, he won't be able to play guitar or wrestle, which I laughed really fucking hard at. Um, yeah, th- this was a fun match, especially little guy versus big guy match. It was a, it was a very good match. I agree. Um, next match was pretty good, too. Layla Hirsch and Red Velvet got to finally have their outing, and they had both ladies just had a really good match inside the ring. Um, and Red Velvet ended up getting the win. So I don't know where they're going to go from here with this. I actually got to admit, since they're already building her and she already pulled the heel turn and beat Chris Statlander, I think that Layla Hurst should have beat Red Velvet. I like Red Velvet a lot. I just think that you're building her into what I'm assuming is like this badass by herself type of heel um, shooter, uh, which is what Layla Hirsch is. But I don't know. All right, here's my biggest problem with this. They tell us that uh, on Wednesday, they're like, oh, no, Statlander's removing the face paint. And then she just shows up with a different color face paint. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? Is she still an alien? Is she an evil alien now? Uh, Because it went from green and black, like the fuck. And then also, Layla Hirsch doesn't need a 
she's pulling out the most giant object you ever could pull out from under the ring to <laughs> get a win over <laughs> opponents with this giant like turnbuckle tool. Uh, why is that a thing? Especially because she deadlift Germander like three times. She should probably just have went for the pin. Um, so maybe some of the structure of the match. I will say that Red Velvet looked good in the match, and so did Layla Hirsch. So I'm not going to crap on it too hard, but just some of the booking around it's a little bit ridiculous. And I feel like fans are more behind Layla Hirsch, Hirsch. than they are Red Velvet. I could be wrong, but everyone I talk to seems to like Layla Hirsch quite a bit. She's a so brick shit house, man. Right, and I think people appreciate that she's like a, uh, I don't know, like a little female Kurt Angle out there, yeah. <laughs> you know, like as opposed to just like Red Velvet. Not not to take anything away from her, but she's doing a lot of the same stuff as like like uh, Sasha Banks or a lot of the other female wrestlers just came before her, just like high kicks and and that kind of movement in the ring where Layla Hirsch is doing fucking deadlift Germans and shit, which is something different. It feels more like a Jordan Grace type wrestler than everything else that's out there. Um, And they haven't done a good job of pushing Red Velvet other than this weird friendship breakup they have, which uh, only plays out if you watch Elevation and Dark each week. And uh, I don't think I do that. And you don't. I don't think do that that much either. So it's weird how that works. I have been tuning in because my girl Session Boss been on it. Just just bants and grinding on people. So that's been funny. <laughs> she had another match against Diamante, which was pretty good. Her first was against Ruby Soho. She's 0-2 in AEW, Dane. Why are they doing my girl so wrong? I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, uh, let's move on to the next match. We had House of Black, Bear Country, and Fuego del Sol. I'll start off by saying this. I have seen a good amount of matches, but I don't know why. Bear Country actually looks like, you know, two guys you wouldn't want to fuck with, and they're kind of just jobbers with Fuego del Sol. If you're going to do a job match, you could have picked two other guys or just three random dudes and put them in there. But House of Black look fucking awesome. Um, their entrance, them coming out, it's kind of flavors of, 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 uh, the ministry or flavors of, uh, Kevin Sullivan and his group of fucking cult members back in the day of, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Florida championship wrestling, um, which I wish that they seem like they were going to do like the Luna Vachon thing with, uh, what's her name, uh, from the, the, the blondes, um, where she got the patch on her fucking face, only in one eye. But they didn't, but I'm wondering... I, I really like this weird, like, dark group of three dudes that come out. But these guys, you know, they're three different sizes. Like, you got the smaller built dude. You got, like, the middle-sized badass martial artist who's, like, the leader. And then this big fucking hoss. But they can work in tandem with all... Like, another reason why we should probably have a 3 uh title you know um a three-man tag team championship because they're really good they're doing everything sequenced with each other but it still looks natural um and they just they they beat the shit out of them basically and especially for the soul good job on selling my man i don't know if it's because you actually got knocked uh into like oblivion but it was uh it was it was good stuff of showing off these guys i would say chris house of blacks Three dudes you do not want to mess with. Shortly afterwards, 
We had uh, Alex Abrahantes or uh, the Grim Reaper. I'm not 100% sure. You mean, if you're going to do like the whole like outfit, you might as well do the face paint uh, of the, the Misfits guy. I forgot what the hell it's called. Uh, but <laughs> he was with Penta. Penta said a lot of crazy stuff in Spanish, all angry and aggressive, doing weird facial expressions and shit. And then Alex let us know that basically, you know, you guys like to hang out in the darkness. That's where I like kind of like a Banish thing. Like he was born in the darkness. So I, I dug it. I don't know. I, is there much more we can do with the House of Black versus Penta, though? It's kind of like outweighing its welcome. I know that Ray Phoenix is probably going to come into the fold, and you already have Pac, so we can finally do three-on-three, three, but I'm just saying I'm kind of also at the same time getting over it. I want to see Pentagon Dark doing his own thing by himself, or I guess him and Ray getting back together, uh, and house of black kind of trading things with another group or, or someone else in general. But how do you feel about all this, Chris? Alex was trying his best here, but he just looks like a goof and it was fucking terrible. And it would be better if you just subtitled Pentagon by itself. <laughs> yep. Like that's, that's the best way to put it. And it's nothing against Alex. I, I think Alex has done a great job with Pentagon as far as translating and stuff. And, and has been a good manager when they were in the Lucha Bros and even before then. But this uh, whole weird minion type deal or familiar or whatever the hell he's supposed to be is just awful. Especially if they're going to do promos like that. And they're supposed to be going against this very super serious murder metal, metal crew of <laughs> Alistair Black and, and gang and co. Because it, it just makes it makes Pentagon look like a joke, really. Whereas it like it would be it would be better if you just cut the promo in Spanish and you subtitled it. With like I some agree with creepy you. lettering. Because let, let's face it, if if we all understood Spanish fluently, Penta would probably be a great promo. Consider same thing with like a you know a, a Okada. You know, I, you can tell by his mannerisms and the inflection of his voice and stuff like that. That he's good at it, we just don't understand what the fuck he's saying. Penta, all his mannerisms, the way that he moves, stuff that he does in the ring of looking behind himself and getting the audience and shit like that, or checking out to see if someone's going to come fight him. It reminds me a lot of Macho Man Randy Savage, and I could not see Macho Man Randy Savage going to Japan and being right next to this English dude who's going to fucking tell everyone what he says, dressed in a fucking Red Grim Reaper outfit after he just does his promo. And then it goes to that. It just completely takes me out of it. I completely agree with you. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's there's nothing wrong with subtitles. <laughs> we all know how to read. I mean, I think a lot of people watch various TV shows where they have like versions of certain parts that are in other languages, right? <laughs> like, um, and should we adhere to ignorant people that don't want to fucking do it? No, I'm sorry. Learn to read. Or learn a different language if you're going to fucking complain about it. Like, if you're going to fucking complain about it, then learn how to speak Spanish or Japanese. Yeah, it's like hooked on <laughs> phonics and shit. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to yeah. shit on someone because they don't speak your nationality and language, you become, you like, become kind like of a special redneck. <laughs> like, these people are at least tr at least trying to learn English. Like, Andrade is a perfect example, right? Yep. 
like this man's out here actively trying to learn English, and then you guys are making fun of his promos because you can't understand him. And it's like, what the fucker? How much Spanish do you speak? Like zero? Okay, shut the fuck up. Like throw it in subtitles, then people can't fucking complain about it. I don't understand why wrestling companies have had such a hard time with this. Alex was funny because like he was still trying to do the intensity. The problem is, is like now he's trying to do like an Undertaker character with intensity. <laughs> you would almost need to hire a whole different actor to do that kind of thing. Um, so just it just comes off goofy, unfortunately. And Pentagon, like Pentagon Black, is a very fucking cool character. And uh, you know what they did in Lucha Underground? Dane. Yep. They used subtitles and it was fine. Yep. It was <laughs> awesome, man. Shunderground is such a great concept. Um, but anyways, let's get to the main event. We're, I think Penta is going to be fine, but I think that we both feel the same way about him and his star power just in general. Uh, but Keith Lee, Max Caster, they did their side by side. I didn't, I don't remember. They just kind of like started doubling up on Keith Lee and you know, ask him why he sounds like fucking Beast from X-Men and shit and just giving him shit. And Keith Lee's just being calm the whole entire time. And he's like, OK, I laughed gotcha. so hard. I, la- I laughed so hard at that because the other day my friend was like, I just want Keith Lee to read me bedtime stories with small glasses on. Exactly, dude. <laughs> if, if, if he was an actor, I would be like, dude, he should play fucking Beast in X-Men, honestly. It's got the and same I was like, temper. Why did WWE Why did... not give him like the Aaron Stevens gimmick where like he's smarter than everyone else, but then he gets in the ring and he's a fucking monster? Like that would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with you. But um, the only thing from the rap from Max Caster and he he ran down uh, Ted Cruz, talked about the Alamo, uh, made fun of Keith Lee's accent again, but he said something like. Um, Hey, I'm not a Ramon like Razor, but um, I kick out more girls out of my bed than Pete Davidson or some shit like that. Like just the fucking them two. Anthony is becoming better on the mic and ha- is is showing off more of his charisma and is already good in the ring. And then you have uh, Max Caster, who's really fucking great on the mic, just natural, not worried about the audience or anything like that, just comfortable as hell, charisma. And also, he's getting better in the ring, you know, by repetition. So, I want to see them with the fucking gold sometime soon in the future. I would actually have it sooner than later. If you have FTR fucking around with, uh, you know, Ring of Honor stuff potentially for the future, and maybe them and the Briscoes having a program going forward, you got the Bucks tied up with uh, Red Dragon that's going to explode any second now. Have the acclaim beat fucking like build some stuff up and then beat fucking Jurassic Express. I know that sounds crazy, but I think these guys are just Chris Jericho's putting it over. Like these guys are just on a different level. They're definitely, I hate to say this, but more sports entertainment than wrestling when it comes to their duo, but they're also good wrestlers in the ring. And this is a good match for Keith Lee to like, you know, even though Caster doesn't seem like it, he's taller or at least as tall as Keith Lee, but this is a good showing of Keith Lee. Caster's really good at selling and his ass kicked. So that's something that's uh, beneficial for him. And Keith Lee uh, ended up winning at the end of it. Uh, but after the match, uh, Hobbs, who came over to the announce table where, um, you know, both Taz and Ricky Starks are doing uh, commentary at and just chilling with them. And at the end of it, they ran out to start beating the crap 
out of um, out of uh, what you call it, uh, Keith Lee. Sorry, had a little brain fart. And then Swerve Strickland after the two of them plus the acclaim were beaten down. Keith Lee, Shane Strickland came uh, to back him up with the chair, and the bad guys retreated. Shane, Swerve Strickland wants uh, Ricky Stark's title. So I think we're definitely going to have Ricky Starks and Hobbs against Keith Lee and Shane Strickland leading up to whenever they decide to do that match. Um, and yeah, it was it was a good ending. Really good match. I think Keith Lee has a shitload of potential. Uh, he's showing off like he's he knows that that's what he's known for. And it's like he's like, dude, that's just how I talk. But I think he's realizing that he's going to be more quiet and more like, OK, you think that. Well, why don't you prove it in the ring? when I go out there and I whoop your ass and just getting a little more aggressive about it, but not over the top like WWE was trying to get him to do, but praise everyone involved in this. Good job, guys. I'm looking forward to everything followed by this. I'm looking forward to acclaim by themselves, both those guys. And I'm looking forward to Starks and fucking Hobbs going against uh, Swerve and, and Keith Lee. And I'm going to bask in all the glory, especially Keith's. What do you think, Chris? So I didn't get to watch this main event because I recorded the show and there was a 20 minute NCAA tournament uh, basketball game that ran into it. So it cut off right before the main event. So I'll just quickly comment on things that you've said, uh, which Max Caster and Anthony Bowens, I think they're a fucking great tag team. There's a lot there that you can do, do, uh, do with. I think Bowens is better in the ring. Caster is getting better and better each week. He's still phenomenal on the mic. Uh, Anthony, uh, like Swerve Scott coming out and uh, helping out Keith Lee because he wants the FTW title. I think that's very interesting because I would actually have him beat uh, Ricky Starks to set up him versus Hook because I think that would be a very good promo where Hook has to bring the title back home to uh, Taz and you could have like Hook have to run through Starks and Hobbs and just disband like Team Taz, where it's just Taz and Hook. And I think that would be a great way to go with that. Uh, so there's a lot of good shit that would come out of this. And obviously, Keith Lee is just going to demolish whoever they put in front of them for a while until they decide exactly what they want to do with the guy. But um, I didn't get to see the match, so I can't comment on that. Uh, everyone can thank NCAA tournament for that. <laughs> Even though I recorded this on Twitter, I recorded it on TNTW and TNT Normal and still got double overruns, even though it was like I, I recorded it for one hour and 15 minutes. So that game went 20 minutes over what it was supposed to be when Rampage was supposed to start, which good if you love basketball, bad if you were just there for the Rampage. Yeah, well, that 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 sucks, man. Um, I don't know how you can find it, but it was a pretty good match and uh, just good setup for stuff. But uh Fucking basketball, making our shows go so damn late. Oy, what are you going to do? Um, I guess let's get out of here. Oh, actually, one more thing. One more thing, guys. This was announced early this week, and I just want to let you know it's all official. Tony Storm has opened up an OnlyFans account. So if you want to do that, I'm checking out the page. Hey, you do whatever you want to do in your own time. But her headline to start off is, Badass Wrestler with the Best Ass. Fat ass Aussie, so that's nineteen ninety nine a month. That basically means, uh, given that she had uh, one thousand seventy likes, 
uh, and I'm sure she has way more people that just jumped on. She already made out of just the amount of likes on her first fucking post, twenty one thousand dollars, twenty one thousand four hundred dollars for her first month, and that's not as many people have joined. That's just the people that liked her first fucking post. Tony Storm, you make that fucking money, girl. That's all I got to say. Just, yeah. Chris, any uh, comments going off the air, Mr. Married Man? No? Uh, AR Fox at GCW. Shout out to the Atlanta fans for really supporting this fucker when he came out. It was amazing to be in the building when AR Fox came out, the uh, the GCW show. Dane, how did you feel about that one? <laughs> I'm going to deflect to a different conversation. <laughs> Uh, I'm just I'm supporting female wrestlers online, okay? So I'm just gonna <laughs> say that. Um, Scott Bardo has one too. Just gonna put, throw it out there. Uh, but yeah, did Air Fox great stuff? I remember more about that match than I do the main event. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, he was super over. They gave him a lot of time to work. It was awesome. I, you know, good. Make that money on OnlyFans. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know if the shiniest wizard is a is a heel move or a baby face move because I still think that's an illegal weapon in the ring. <laughs> well, remember that that's not Tony Storm. That's a uh, what the hell's her name? Oh uh, man! No, no, no. That's a uh, the one with knee braces because she fucking screwed up her shit so many times. Um, yeah, damn it. She did also. Tony left. She quit the company, and they let her go. Uh, blonde. Um, Just the shiniest wizard, then. I thought it was Tony Storm. Apologies to Tony Storm, then. Well, it's still make that money. Well, apologies. I'm having a brain fart right now. but uh, I can't think of her damn name either, man. She's a good wrestler, but yeah, she has knee braces. Complete violation with all that metal on her fucking knees. Being able to, like, you know, shiniest wizard someone in the face. It's like if oh, Austin dude. started throwing MMA knees in the next match he has. <laughs> Those giant things. How many knee braces is Austin going to wear at Mania? That's a good over-under bet. Oh, my God. Is he gonna have I hope it's all of his legs. Of each other? It's going to be a giant brace just on his fucking leg. I got these replaced with Bionic Man Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox oh, is the one with go. the shiny swords. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. Sorry then, Tony Storm. Tegan, if you decide to open up on OnlyFans, I will support your decisions as well. So uh, I'm glad that Dane's out here supporting in the name of uh, research for Wrestling Geeks Alliance. <laughs> I'm not doing any researching. I'm just, you know, like I said, just helping out and doing my thing to praise women for doing whatever the fuck they want to do to make money. Hell yeah. And in all seriousness, they both should be signed somewhere. So give them actual wrestling jobs. That'd be amazing. Hey, Ring of Honor, start a good women's division. There you go. There's two great names. Just the fact that, like we said, Ember Moon's nowhere. Ty Valkyrie's nowhere. Um, fucking Tony Storm. Uh, Tegan Knox. Yeah, we need to see these women show up somewhere for sure. Scarlett Bardot's nowhere. What's going on? <laughs> well, I guess we'll see soon when Tony relaunches this company. Maybe that'll be the thing. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk to me on Twitter at Chris R. Patton, on Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton. Shout out to AR Fox. Shout out to all of Atlanta for cheering AR Fox at the GCW show. Shout out to me getting more color than anyone else on the show by falling upstairs. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, but 
if you wanted. <laughs> but to. I am. <laughs> but good times, Dean. Thank you for having me on, as always. Love you, brother, and uh, sending it back over to you. Oh, I love you too, buddy. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Lots of stuff to talk about in wrestling. I'm gonna get you know with the the rest of my Saturday and and do whatever I gotta do. Chris appreciates you. I appreciate you guys. New listeners, old listeners, doesn't matter. Uh, you can find us at Wrestling Geeks Alliance on any do- downloadable platform. Doesn't matter if that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Subscribe to our show. Give us a star rating. Five stars, please. Pretty, pretty, please. And you guys have a wonderful day. You can uh, communicate me with DaneAlves42 on Twitter and DaneAlves on both Facebook and Instagram. Message me. Hit me up. Let's have a conversation with the Geek Vibes Nation. So you guys have a great day. Let the Wrestling Geeks Alliance be with you. And as always, peace out. Ooh, yeah, brother. Mm-hmm.